You are listening to How to Bake a Book. Some episodes may contain content not suitable for some listeners. Please see descriptions for specific content warnings. Listener discretion is advised. You can't scare me. You're Mary Bates. You're like the kindest person I know. Who <laughs> always gets shit on. <laughs> anyway. Maybe it's because I'm too nice. Ah, uh, dude, I get that. People like to assume that because I'm nice, it means that I'm dumb. And I'm not. I, I just think that... I mean, honestly, I think that being kind is one of the most radical things that you can do in a world that's trying to convince you that you are nothing and neither is anybody else around you. Yeah. So... It's very punk rock. Okay. You're we are recording. Oh, I just, cool. I hit the button and I was trying to distract you from the things you were threatening. Welcome to How to Bake a Book. I'm Mary. And I'm Cole. Welcome uh, back. Oh yes, welcome back. Welcome back. We're going to be covering the second part of The City in the Middle of the Night by Charlie Jane Anders. I think I might put like a poll up or something. No, I'm not going to do that. That seems like a lot of work. I'll do Um, it. I'm the social media person. That's true. How how would you make a poll and who would see it? I don't know, Mary. (laughs) I just assume... What do you want the poll to be? I mean, most polls are metal or wood. Um, I'm kidding. I'm sorry. That was a homonym. Uh, About whether I'm right or you're right. And this is a great book. And... I mean, we can both be... We can be, we can both be wrong. Yeah. No, I I'm just I'm just messing with you because we have slightly different feelings about this book. Yeah, I mean it's I, uh, it's not that I hate it or like you know it was one that, okay no it didn't do you dirty. No, not at all. It's not like you know it was badly written or like anything like that. I think it was just not your jam. Yeah, it's a lot of political stuff. It's mm-hmm. a lot of um, it is jam. You were hoping <laughs> you were hoping for like a nice smooth raspberry jam and this is a marmalade. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but yeah, so if you're interested in hearing more about my hot takes, <laughs> you can <laughs> listen to the beginning of the, the uh, other episode. Yeah, for those of you who are deeply confused about what's happening right now, mm-hmm. please refer back to episode 6, um, which covers the first half of the city in the middle of the night because mm-hmm. we will be confusing you otherwise. Yeah. Um, this is going to be a deep dive into our thoughts and feelings about the second <laughs> half of the book, and it is laden with spoilers. Oh, yes. It's like yes, a yes. landmine of spoilers. Yes. Uh, so what I've decided to make for this episode is... <laughs> um, the, the most exclusive thing Cole cannot eat. I know. I know. Well, to be fair, I most of my recipes you won't be able to eat. That's fair. Um, That's fair. <laughs> I'm just saying that for last week, I did bring you a peach cobbler. So that you know, that's fair. Yeah, yeah. I should have gotten a picture of that peach cobbler. I just Before ate it. Before we like <laughs> destroyed just it, made it disappear. Yeah. But you can see the peach bread I made. What did you make, Mary? So I made a meatloaf. 
with mashed potatoes, pearl onions, fried carrot chips, and uh, I served it alongside blackberry wine. Um, there's a character that we meet a little later on, and his name is Barney. And these are the things that he serves at his restaurant, uh, like bar restaurant place. Barstaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, he makes his meatloaf with sheep. I uh, did not do that. You don't like mutton? No. You don't care for no, it? No, I'm an Irish gal, but uh, <laughs> no thanks. No thanks. Fair. So I also don't eat red meat very often. That's okay. And so I make uh, meatloaf with ground turkey. I've heard rumor that your turkey meatloaf is legendary. <laughs> from You literally heard it from my mouth five minutes ago. That's how rumors start, Mary. <laughs> uh, when I'm, I'm pretty sure if I were to ask uh, the other meat-eating people within our coterie, they would agree. Yeah, that's yeah. actually, that's fair. I'm, I'm almost certain that name redacted you know what his name is Mm -hmm. um would flip and start trying to convince me to eat it's kyle (laughs) try and convince me to eat eat your meatloaf Mm -hmm. so and so uh usually turkey can be kind of dry and so i mix it with like a cup of coconut milk because I am mostly dairy-free because of stupid, stupid Crohn's. So I, uh, because of Crohn's, I mixed it with a cup of coconut milk. Because mm-hmm. I can't have, like, almond milk or soy milk or, like, actual, like, milk milk. Mm-hmm. It actually makes it perfect. Like, it's not super dry, but it's also not mushy. Because mm-hmm. okay. some meatloaf can, can just be sort of, like, it, it doesn't hold its shape when you cut and, like, put it on a plate. It's been a very long time since I've eaten meat, (laughs) and I have fond memories of meatloaf, Mm -hmm. but, like, you know, my mom made meatloaf all the time, (laughs) but I feel like meatloaf can go notoriously bad. Yeah, it's, I make a really good yellow chicken curry, Mm. and curries are, you can, like, one ingredient, you can fuck it up. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. You don't put enough cumin in, or, or something, something. Yeah. Or, and it's just garbage. Yeah, or you don't do the onions right. Yeah, and um, so like meatloaf can meatloaf is a tricky is a tricky thing. Yeah, but I I I'm very good at it, and I have my own yeah. recipe too. So if you guys well, y- <laughs> y'all will have access to that yeah. pretty soon. And so if you guys want to see pictures of the the meatloaf, um, I made garlic mashed potatoes, also with coconut milk and vegan butter. So actually, my mashed potato recipe is vegan, but you can absolutely make Get it me traditional. Up. And because uh, I like to use Yukon Gold and Russet. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah, and it just makes it very like luxurious, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. And then I just did some quick pearl onions on like a skillet, and then the carrot chips I fried in in my Dutch oven with some canola oil. I can't have carrots, but Robbie loved them. I love a carrot. <laughs> uh, One of my favorite things is just carrots and brown butter. Like, well, brown vegan butter. But I used to make it for Thanksgiving, but I don't want to keep talking about things you can't eat. <laughs> no, I feel like I'm. I feel like we're dangling it in front of no, you. No, it's totally it's fine. a literal carrot dangling in front of you, Mary. <laughs> oh, it's totally the fine. metaphors. <laughs> Are writing themselves. 
It's fine. I, I can have so many other things now. Yeah. Like, that. It's my crowds is, like, more under control. Yeah. But anyway, I don't, I don't really miss carrots. It's fine. As I say that, now that I think back about brown sugar butter carrots, I'm like, yeah, those were really good. Those were really good. Damn it. I'm so sorry. It's okay. Anyway, I made some fried carrot chips, and then I don't really drink, so you can find some really great blackberry wines at your local like alcohol stores <laughs> grocery stores choose your own adventure yeah. with the blackberry wine <laughs> um but i just got it's november and so they have all these really awesome like the martinelli's ciders like mm-hmm. so i just got a blackberry cider i so we live in oregon and i have this like sneaking theory that or suspicion that all of Oregon is just on one blackberry bush. <laughs> I still have frozen blackberries in my uh, like frozen, me too. in my freezer from just like people giving them to me, gathering them on my yeah. own. People giving them to their mm-hmm. blackberries are like an economy here. But I love blackberries. I do too. I think that they're. I like to put them. I like to mush them and put them in my tea. That's oh, like that a sweetener. Delightful. Mm-hmm. Ooh, you should try it. I put a couple in ginger ale. Ooh, that would be nice. It's very nice. They do that with, uh, like, champagne. With, like, raspberries, strawberries. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Anyway. So if you guys want to see pictures of all that, go ahead to our... Go to our Instagram. Uh, it's how to bake a book pod. And our website as well. Yeah. Howtobakeabookpod.com. Correct. Correct. Yes. Which um, my husband made, and I'm really proud of him because it's really cute. <laughs> Uh, anyway, he's our wonderful scribe. We're gonna jump right back into where we left off. So we left off right after Omar died. So they're yes. on the road between Zeothant and Argello. Mm-hmm. And Omar, the leader, has been eaten by a bison. Which isn't actually bison. It's, I imagine, a pterodactyl. I am frustrated with this book because the <laughs> words in this book don't mean anything. Don't, uh, don't worry, I have a rant. Like, already loaded. <laughs> I have one in the chamber. I wish I had more metaphors that weren't gun-related. You know, the, okay, so speaking of metaphors, we talked about this in the first episode, and I'm just going to mention again. This book is metaphor-heavy. It is. Very yeah. meta- metaphor-heavy. If you are not a fan of flowery language, like, it's not flowery. It's not flowery. Because at one point, and I said this in the first episode, I'm going to say it again. <laughs> she says something about, it this smells is like a dead woman's tears. Yeah. How would you know? <laughs> I'm not questioning what people get out, up to in their off time. Maybe there's some sniffing involved. You know, I'm not afraid to admit that I am a nosy, nosy bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all, if I die prematurely, <laughs> please don't let Mary sniff my tears. Oh, gross! <laughs> just saying, you're no. If you're saying you're nosy, that's, I just that's, want, but that's not. I don't want to know what that smells like. <laughs> I want to know how she knows what that smells like. How else? What else would I infer from what you oh, said? God. <laughs> oh, first the the terrifying mole. Thing and oh, then is that the still naked haunting mole. You? Oh, so bad. Are you kidding? <laughs> so so bad. And I'm sorry, I, I just hit my glass. No, you're perfect thing. and fine. Do not worry. I'm just glad that I've had a lasting impact on your, oh, your life. Oh, that is going to haunt my dreams for years. Why haven't they used that in more horror movies? I don't know. Like that is real life terrifying. Real life is you stranger guys, than fiction. You need to Google 
like a mole's face. Yeah, and then you'll understand what the gallop look like. Oh, God. Except they also have pinchers, and they're furry, and they're huge. And soft. <laughs> like, emotionally. Yes, they are very soft. They're very cozy. Uh, so they find a shitty shift to cross the sea of murder. It's literally what I wrote down. <laughs> <laughs> so they're, they're trading it across this... I'm amazed that there isn't a bridge or something because these are the only like of course there are a war but these are the only two cities on this well, planet i think mouth says because the citizens used to go from city to city mm-hmm. so the climate used to be a lot easier and so True. they have to do the sea of murder now because the climate is too bad that they you can't cross like city to city like that anymore. interesting yeah okay okay that's fair. like an entire town i think was decimated or something i believe that yeah because the climate is so messed up yeah it's it's worsening by the mm-hmm. like noticeably worsening within a person's like lifetime <laughs> like firsthand experience so they and they end up on this shitty shitty shift I shitty just- skip I just, <laughs> I love that. Um, I love you. You're perfect. Um, just the the idea of this ragtag crew, yeah, on this absolutely like moldering and falling apart. It's decaying. Okay. okay. Um, it's a shitty skiff, but this dangerously bad skiff. It's just the the image in my head is is hilarious. Of you know, two city girls and the crew. <laughs> Poor Sophie is so seasick. She can't hold her shit together. Poor dear. I mean, when has she ever had the opportunity to be I on, know. like, moving on water? Yeah, she's not... No, they haven't ever seen it. And yeah. so Bianca and Sophie are, like, amazed by it yeah. until they're actually on this shitty skiff and are going through it. One of the things I do want to highlight before we go into the sea with them is that they've been traveling together for the first time since Sophie's sudden resurrection in Bianca's life. And it has been very uncomfortable between the two of them. And Bianca's been really, like, the reunion was shitty. Like, she's been ignoring her the entire time. She's been very cruel. Yeah. At one point, she says to Sophie, I don't know how you expect me to deal with you being alive. Mm -hmm. After I threw away everything to avenge your death, you've been living at some gracious coffee house, and meanwhile, I've just been falling apart piece by piece. Yeah, so it's all about Bianca. And still, she hasn't asked what happened. Sophie went through. She ha- she doesn't know anything no. about what happened. And she hasn't decided... It frustrates me so much about her. It's, it's like infuriating. She really gives a shit about herself. Yeah, and because we're being fed it from... Mostly from Sophie's perspective, it's hard to see in some parts because Sophie is trying to soften the edges for the reader, I mm-hmm. think. She's trying to control it, like... Well, and she just keeps saying that, you know, she she did do this to Bianca. Mm-hmm. This is her fault. She's being gaslit! Mm-hmm. It just makes me feel gross. It really does. Yeah. Yeah. Especially so, just, like, I don't know how you expect me to deal with you being alive. What the fuck? You should be fucking happy. Yes. Guess what? I'm gracing you with my presence. <laughs> like, Sophie is a, 
a precious perfect angel <laughs> and we need to protect her i disagree with that i do I think too she, i said it and she regretted has, it she has she also does some shit that you're just like okay what the fuck are you doing what are you doing yeah and so the uh, it's frustrating from a reader's perspective and this this is just good writing that you want sophie just to be like stop yeah. like you're being a shitty person you're being a mm-hmm. shitty friend mm-hmm. but Sophie is so entwined with Bianca being such a like important person in her life and mm-hmm. you know person that she loves mm-hmm. you know and it's just frust- it's just so hard at this to point, see Bianca be so terrible at this point she's pretty much the only person that Sophie likes even yeah especially now that they're on the road yeah. like there's she mm-hmm. does not like Mouth. No. She does not care for Alyssa because of... Everything that happened. Yeah. And her relationship with Mouth. And the rest of the crew, I think, kind of intimidates and puts her off. So Bianca's like her bastion callback. <laughs> and Bianca's like her bastion and is not acting in any way like she had imagined she'd done that thing, you know, that you do where you run through the scenarios in your head of how something might go. Mm-hmm. And none of them were like this. Yeah. This is all just a huge disappointment. And Sophie is really awkward and doesn't know how to handle it. So yeah. she's just kind of letting Bianca walk all over her. Yeah. Which is hard to read. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they go through a typhoon and Sophie confesses her love to Bianca. You're safe in my love is something that she says over and over and over As again. As she's like, so the boat is this horrible... Oh, it's a, it's a huge storm. This huge storm comes through and, like, threatens to rip the boat in half. Yeah. Sophie is the only thing holding Bianca onto the boat. Yeah. And then... She's saying this to her. And but it's also so windy that she doesn't know if Bianca heard heard it. Yeah. Which I'm just like, don't you? She doesn't deserve to be safe in your love. Yeah. Anyway. After the typhoon, they are still on their way to Argolo. They get surrounded at one point by pirates with weapons. <laughs> I'm not going to go too much into it here, but it's actually a great... It's a great pirate fight. It, it's a great pirate fight. Yeah. She, she actually did a really great job of, like, a ship fight. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I absolutely it agree. Wasn't, it wasn't boring. And usually, like, those and the, sort of fights like that, like, I just, you, as a reader, you're just like, okay. The pirates also weren't caricatures. They no. were, like, very believable why they would be there. Yeah. And they have all of these little boats. They used to be fisher people living. Everything's drying up. Everything's drying up. Mm-hmm. All of the resources are now in question. And so they're desperate and starving and yeah. angry. And angry. And it's and a, they're it's a kind good of, And they stumble upon, you know, Sophie and, and you know, all, their whole group. And it's, it's just a moment of opportunity for them to get yeah. things that their community needs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so one of the people that boards the skiff, her name is Captain Jenny. And one of the things that, like, I got frustrated with was 
she gives names and kind of like somewhat of these really long backstories and stuff to these characters that we never see again. <laughs> they get into like this really interesting fight. Captain Jenny stabs uh, Kendrick in the leg and he's bleeding and Mouth is able to kind of push Captain Jenny overboard. She herself actually goes overboard overboard at the same time. Yeah. Catches herself at the last minute but is going to fall and Bianca gets there mm-hmm. and has hold of her and is just saying like I should let you die. I should just let you I should just let go. Yeah. Tell me why I should let you live kind yeah. of a situation. And Mouth begs her to pull her up. And it's a really interesting moment from Mouth's perspective because she's supposed to be this like really rough, tough mm-hmm. mercenary and she screwed over yeah. Bianca. Mm-hmm. And Bianca believes that, like, Mouth was the one that, like, killed all of her friends, you know, tipped off the police. She's putting all of the blame on Oh, yeah, completely. Yeah. She, and... Why, well, I mean, Bianca yeah, can't why would Bianca take, yeah, take, like, be an adult about anything? She's not. She's just terrible. <laughs> but I, no, I, I absolutely agree. This is one of the things that I meant last time when we were talking about it. That the pe- the responses are so human. It would have been so easy to write Mouth in this moment trying to be stoic badass or like yeah. threatening her or something. Mm-hmm. But she begs for her life. She's yeah. terrified. Yeah. As a regular person would be. Mm-hmm. Like, of course she doesn't want to die. And of course she doesn't want to die like this. And so what interesting is like a reflection. So Sophie walks up and that's when Bianca pulls mouth up and so I wonder because this is also when Bianca starts to change too and starts to become a a lot more dark I think Mm -hmm. I wonder though if Sophie wasn't there if she would have let her go oh I think she would have yeah I that's that's how I read it I absolutely think she would have and I don't know if it was the way that I read it was that she was try- still trying to convince Sophie that she's a good person. I think so, too. And it's it's very manipulative. She was... <laughs> there's a lot of things in this book that she does that are manipulative yeah. to Sophie. And I'm just... It is so well, it's angering. Not, it's not made very clear how manipulative Bianca is until much later on. But, like, these are the seeds that are being sown, you know? And yeah. now, like, looking back, we have that benefit of perspective mm-hmm. of going... Oh, yeah, no, she had a whole end game. <laughs> Great. So they're able to kill all the rest of the pirates, except for one guy that they take kind of with them, and his name is Jerry. They take him all the way with them to Argal when they make it to Argalo, mm-hmm. and then we never see him again. Yeah. What is the point? <laughs> I think that's just... Honestly, <laughs> I think that that is, like, how it would be. Because every... You know, every now and again, somebody drifts into your life and drifts right out. That's you know? fair. That's fair. Like, I have ex-co-workers or customers or fellow students or students of my own or what have you that... Mm-hmm. I could not tell you what their fucking <laughs> name was, but I can kind of remember them, you know? I got randomly texted by somebody, like, six months ago... Who I have no memory of. I have the same whatsoever. phone number since freshman year of high school. Senior year. Yeah, and sometimes I get, like, texted, but and I'm just like, first of all, how would you remember this? 
second like, of all, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so after the fight, they are still making it to Argolo. However, it's getting into full night, which means freezing cold. They won't be able to see. And so they crawl onto like this sled with like these all-terrain like tires and cover like the cargo and all of that with these tarps. And eventually they kind of drift into like a snowbank and everybody is freezing in in the wind. They're and, certain they're going to die. Uh, yeah. Because they've ended up in the full night. Yeah. So Sophie's bracelet that she got from Rose starts to like vibrate and is almost like pulling her wrist into like the darker night is mm-hmm. just like, try- it's almost like a summoning thing where yeah. it's like, I a feel, compass or- yeah, like I feel like I need to go this direction. Yeah. And she figures out that if she puts enough feeling into this device or something, she might be able to communicate that they need help. Mm-hmm. And then uh, all of a sudden it goes from vibrating to making like a low, like whirring sound, like a call mm-hmm. almost. That's how I interpret it. Yeah, same. It, at least. It, like a um, signal. Mm-hmm. And um, so she <laughs> explains to Bianca first that her friends are coming and that everybody needs to stay calm when they get here. See, but if Bianca hadn't been such an asshole and mm-hmm. maybe taken like a moment of her time to ask Sophie about yeah. what was going on in her life, maybe this wouldn't be such a big surprise. Yeah. Bianca c- kind of tells that to everybody else. Mm-hmm. She's going to call her friends. Be cool about it. Mm-hmm. That That's something that's interesting to me is that... Bianca is acting as an intermediary between Sophie, who is being silent she's for the most. She's acting p- as a leader. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, but she's she's take she's conveying information between Sophie and everybody else. So yeah. she's like a mouthpiece almost. Well, and I, I think everybody uh, still thinks that Sophie is mute, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it turns out that she is able to to summon a group of galette and they all show up with like those warm mossy blankets that Rose gave to uh, Sophie in the beginning. They cover everybody. They help kind of usher them back into uh like the twilight and it's like at the further shore of the sea of murder Mm -hmm. and then they quietly go back into the darkness yeah and bianca has a look on her face like she did when she was about to let mouth go and then sophie has a thought to herself that she wishes she could take back her earlier confession of love yeah which I was like, how interesting. She's she's seeing Bianca calculating mm-hmm. is what it is. And she's I think it's only because she's had that, that separation from her that she's able to see Bianca in this way. She has seen enough of the world outside of Bianca's influence mm-hmm. to be able to look at her more objectively. And it's she's starting slowly to reform her idea of who Bianca is. They make it to Argolo, and the first thing that Bianca says to Sophie after all of this is, I can't believe you learned how to control the crocodiles and you didn't tell me. Yeah. And it's like, you still haven't asked anything about her experience. She's, she's like... And- reprimanding her well and she goes on to say all this time you could have made them work for the uprising they could have rained frozen rocks on the palace and we could have won almost without a fight 
you like who says that you can control anything yeah. like you don't you don't know what they are plus they just saved your ass yeah you know she, but she's she's so ready to just like turn anything into her own power move because mm-hmm. she's she comes from a very powerful family and so she expects to be the one to kind of make the decisions about things mm-hmm. and everything for her is a power play well, and they, they argue about uh, them being animals versus something complex like humans. And Sophie actually tells Bianca that she doesn't know what she's talking about and should stop talking. Yeah. And that's the first time that she, like, stands up to Bianca. Mm-hmm. And it's such, a, like, a pivotal moment, I think. It really this is. really is when I think Sophie starts to look at this relationship in a different light of, mm-hmm. you know, she isn't being a good friend she isn't making good choices but then bianca also sees that though and And so she changes her tactics and manipulates it yeah yeah she realizes that sophie isn't just going to blindly do whatever Mm -hmm. she needs her to do or wants her to do yeah yeah and so they end up staying with omar's older brother his wife and his son Mm -hmm. and bianca it starts to go to all these parties she climbs the social ladder yeah so i mean Argolo is is quite a different experience for them when they get there and it's a little disorienting at first yeah, with, a lot it's, disorienting like i would imagine it's it's very like vegas i see the same thing it's yeah. they go from a very strict very regimented society to this kind of free-for-all mm-hmm. where there are social rules but they're kind of implied social rules and if you don't know them then you're kind of fucked there's a moment in the book where it's kind of glossing over a period of time that we don't know how long it is because a days don't exist here so how do you measure time really Mm -hmm. sleep when you want play when you want exactly and but the two of them don't speak the language in Mm -hmm. argolo and they're at war with Zeophant, so they, they kind of live under cover for a little yeah. while. Omar's brother is kind to them and Oh he's he's, he's very nice. Absolute angel. Yeah. Um but there is a period where they're trying to acclimate towards like what it means to be an Argolo and Bianca acclimates a lot faster. She picks up the language faster. She starts picking up the mores faster. Goes headlong right into it. Mm -hmm. Starts going out to nightclubs Mm -hmm. or, I guess, pit clubs. Because the entire city of Argolo is in kind of like a caldera almost. Mm -hmm. Like a chasm. And so it goes deeper and deeper. um, Which is, I mean, both metaphorically and physically the opposite of Zeophant. So mm-hmm. Zeophant is like reaching towards the sky and Argolo is digging deeper into the ground. Yeah, there's like, you know, on level four, there's these shops. On level 12, there's, you know, these shops. Yeah. And so it is It is an interesting, like, negative to yeah. Zeophant. Yeah, it's, it's uh, the diametric opposite. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So at one point, Bianca tells Sophie that she did hear her declaration and that you are mine. No one will ever take you away from me again. I promise that. Which is all Sophie's ever wanted to hear. Yeah. It's just another manipulation. Yeah. Um, 
Then we see Mouth and Alyssa have bought and furnished a nice apartment in a city in the city that looks over a bar so they can watch all the stupid drunk people's throw up outside. <laughs> yeah. Which so, I just think is amazing. The resourceful couriers mm-hmm. had a like a little bit of a wake for Omar yeah. when they got there at his brother's bar. But then they kind of decided to disband. Mm-hmm. So Alyssa's desire to retire, she's she's starting to explore the opportunities. And they do talk about opening a shop, mm-hmm. which I think is like, again, what I think I mentioned this in the last episode. What kind of shop would they open? Knives? <laughs> Various butters? I don't... <laughs> They talk about this thing called cat butter. Oh, I wasn't even going to touch on I that. I am horrified. The gin and milk thing was enough. Cat butter. Are there felines? Did they bring cats from Earth? Are these just another creature that they've renamed something else? And why do they milk them? Oh, I don't. I'm going to move on. Okay. <laughs> That's fair. So Alyssa wants again for them to re- retire from smuggling. Mouth uh, agrees and is really reluctant and um, doesn't want to, mm-hmm. but agrees anyway and is gonna is trying to hide her fear of staying in one place. Mm-hmm. Alyssa, it turns out, gets them a gun running job <laughs> uh, with some underbosses of uh, the family called the Perfectionists. Yes. So and the the city of Argolo, just as a reminder, is run by nine like families. Yeah. They're not an official go- government, mm-hmm. but it seems like more of like a gang or mafia sort of situation where each of the families is powerful enough and has enough influence that they might as well be a governing body. Yeah, exactly. So by working with one of the families, you're effectively taking that family's side. Yes. In this, like, Mm -hmm. dynamic. And that's something that, like, this section of the book goes a little bit deeper into, but is less interesting to talk about. If you're super interested in mafia-esque sci-fi politics... I recommend it. (laughs) (laughs) So it's with the underbosses, and one of them's name is Carlos. And it's interesting, he wants to overthrow the family and take over and all of this stuff, and so he's gonna uprising. And um, the families, a a, yes, a coup, thank you. Um, the families aren't doing their jobs, and he says it's all up for grabs. The sea is fished out, meteor quarries coming up empty, textile factories at half capacity, toxic rainstorms have been trashing our crops, and the aquifers are getting polluted or drained. Shortages mean one thing opportunity. Mm-hmm. And I was like, how capitalistic. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. It's a free for all. Yeah. It, and it, it turns out on the way to running these guns across the city, uh, Alyssa tell, uh, runs into members of the perfectionist family and she's been working for them all along mm-hmm. and, you know, told them about this uprising, telling them what's going to happen, where it's going to happen, and all of this stuff. So they do a double cross. Yeah, they do double cross. Which is funny because it's kind of what Mouth did to... Oh, yeah, it totally did. mirrors. Yeah, but Alyssa, it's okay when Alyssa does it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so Alyssa was pissed when Mouth did mm-hmm. this back in Zeophant. But now, since she's the one doing it, 
and she's quote unquote retired from being a courier, mm-hmm. she can get completely involved. One of the underbosses shoots Alyssa. Mouth dispatches again, literally everybody. Mm-hmm. So Sasha, the number two guy, gives Mouth a perfectionist pendant mm-hmm. and says, "Wear it, keep it with you at all times." And basically, it means that Mouth and Alyssa are untouchable. They're part of that family. They can go to perfectionist, run restaurants, and get food. Like you know, basically anything they need. They're taken care of. Now. Yeah, they're taken care of, and they also heal. Alyssa. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Alyssa wakes up, she explains that the reason that she did that is that's how you climb the ladder in Argolo. Yes. That's how you get in with people that make a difference. Like, that's how you yeah. get in with, like, what's the word I'm looking The for? movers and the shakers. Yeah, the movers and the shakers. She's very aware of what's going, like, how things go in Argolo because she grew up there though too. You learn a little bit about Alyssa's backstory not a lot but you you learn that she was a child arsonist. Yeah. Like leading like a gang of feral children in Argolo before she joined the couriers. So for her this violence that we talked about last episode is explicit. That's how you that's how you get anywhere in this town. Mm-hmm. Whereas Bianca this entire time is doing the is climbing up the other ladder to the top. She is socializing her way through the city. So the two of them to me are kind of foils to each other, Alyssa and Bianca. Like yeah. they're both like the point of view characters other you know but also they have completely different motivations but a lot of the same impulses i and it's funny because i can't decide if i like Alyssa or not i same yeah yeah <laughs> like I, she does some stuff that i'm just like mm. she is shifty mm-hmm. she's very shifty Alyssa is one she's of the, like chaotic neutral she is yeah. She's very self-serving or mouth-serving, but yeah. also, like, has had to draw the line a few times with mouth. But she is willing to do whatever needs to happen to keep herself and hers safe, you know? Mm-hmm. But I think that's one of the things that I appreciated the most about this book is that the characters are not likable. Like, I don't think I like really any of them except for one or two. Yeah. And... That, to me, it is not an indictment of the book. It is a realistic depiction of these people. Mm-hmm. Like, Alyssa feels real. She feels like oh, somebody... a lot of these people feel real. She, yeah, Alyssa just feels like somebody that your, you know, friend knows that mm-hmm. you don't want to show up at the party. <laughs> yeah. Like, that... She feels like somebody who's going to mess things up the minute she shows up, you know? The next scene... <laughs> Actually, Mouth runs into Sophie and wants to talk to her and takes her out to Lemonade. Yeah. And she basically kind of does something similar that Bianca did and is just like, you know, there's this group of smugglers or uh, this group of scavengers that I know that, Mm -hmm. you know, we could help get things to people, but it's going to be for profit. (laughs) And so the one thing that I liked is the Mouth wants to use the galette to help with the scavenging for profit. And Sophie just gets up and walks away. Yeah, like she doesn't say Sophie anything. Sophie does not like mouth. No, she, she doesn't. She 
hates Mouth. And and now Mouth, like Bianca, wants to use these... <sighs> what did I say? Galette? Yeah. Galette. Yeah. And so um, I want to say Gillette so we, bad. Yeah. <laughs> I keep doing that. Gillette. 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 <laughs> Um, and I just love that she just she just gets up, doesn't answer her, just walks away. I just that was so good. Yeah, <laughs> and that that's exactly it. Is that you? We're starting to see Sophie set boundaries with people. Mm-hmm. Like mouth crossed a boundary, so she left. That's something that we didn't see before. She got to Argolo. Was mm-hmm. mouth actually not mouth? Sorry, Sophie actually like setting boundaries with anyone. Mm-hmm. So Alyssa surprises Mouth with a visit from a professor who has studied Mouth's culture and her people. And at first Mouth is super pissed, but then she listens to the professor and it turns out there's another citizen in town, Mm ex-citizen, and that is Barney. Yeah, so the the whole encounter is such a loaded experience because they have their sweet little apartment with their wicker furniture. Mm -hmm. And Alyssa says that she's got a surprise for Mouth. And it turns out to be this person who's been studying the citizens Mm -hmm. in a very... What Mouth construes as a very clinical, cold, separated way. And I just as an aside, it astonishes me that Argolo's, like, school exists. Yeah. (laughs) Just having been through college, the (laughs) idea that... Okay, so time is very relative. It's not regimented like it is in Zeofant. Mm -hmm. So to call the students to school, they put up flags for when classes are. And that stresses me out. (laughs) Just the idea that I could randomly miss a class because I didn't look up to see a flag in time. I... I'm anxious just thinking about it. Um, but this this professor has been researching the citizens and talked to quite a few of them and knows this other guy. And Mouth is mad about it at first. Yeah, and she's super mad. I think it's because she's shaken. I think Mouth's emotions all come out as anger, is yeah. what I think. Yeah. Which is not healthy and needs <laughs> therapy. So, you know. Uh, <laughs> everyone in this book needs therapy. Every single person in this book needs therapy. <laughs> All of them. Um, so she has, she listens to what the professor has to say. He ends up taking her to meet Barney. And Barney, the <laughs> professor wants to do like a very professional interview between these two. And, you know, take notes he, of the interaction. He's an and, anthropologist. He yeah. wants to re- record this and their culture is very private and mm. so sneakily barney gets gets him drunk and he has to go lay down in another room mm. so they can go talk and mouth explains that Alyssa is family to her so she can stay yeah and finally we learn what happened that because barney had left he left because he says quote unquote i felt like i found peace mm-hmm so pretty much, like, the whole point of the citizens was to reach some sort of enlightenment, you know? Mm-hmm. And he felt like he got there. So yeah. he's like, okay, I'm going to stay in Argolo. And that turns out that he, he left the group on their last run yeah. right before everybody mm-hmm. died. So Mouth relays to him what happened. 
we finally get to learn. Mm-hmm. Like, it's been, what, 300 pages yeah. of going, all of my people have died. It yeah. was a horrible thing. It haunts my nightmares. Finally, we get to learn what it is. <laughs> and I would say, yeah, this would haunt my, my nightmares. Oh, for sure. So yeah. she's young. And what is she, like, eight, I think? or I think she's a little bit older than that. She could be seven to nine years old. I'm kidding. That oh, was a- my God. I <laughs> did it again. <gasps> Everything always in my life, when so I annoying. tell a story, I'm always between seven and nine. Yeah. And I did it We've earlier. done it in this podcast. Yes. Always. Oh, yeah. my God. No. So Mouth was talking about... <sighs> That's going to become, like, a drinking game later. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that we haven't mentioned yet is Mouth's name. So mm-hmm. Mouth doesn't officially have a name. Mouth is just kind of a placeholder that mm-hmm. they gave her because in her culture, you're given your name after you go through puberty and have become like kind of an adult or like your own actualized person. And Mouth's people died before she could be given a name. So she was just quote little mouth before Mm -hmm. then and so from that information and the fact that she was upset that she hadn't been given a name yet but she was of age to get a name i inferred that she was like pubescent so 12 to 14 yeah i think actually yeah that makes sense to me yeah i have forever everybody's always whenever something happens seven in their past they're gonna be from seven to nine yeah Anyway, Mouth was 79 years old. So we learned that essentially like this big swarm of blue roaches. And she says it was like seeing the ocean over like locusts. Locusts. Yeah. And by the time she got to her people, there was just bones and metal left. They Mm -hmm. literally ate through everything. Yeah. All of the organic matter. Yeah. Including the carts. Yes. Everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Clothes, books, tomes. Tomes. You (laughs) did it! Yay! So it went from there being a culture of people to to none. To extinction. In a matter of, like, seconds. Yeah. And she had been off getting water or something. And so she comes back over this hill and Mm -hmm. witnesses this happening, Mm -hmm. but is out of range for danger. And so she ends up collecting everybody's bones the best she can and puts them in a pile and then lights the pile on fire. But the fire kind of blows in her face, which is why she has all those scars. And so that is how the citizens perished, as far as we know. Mm-hmm. Right now. Guess what? <laughs> we learned some new information later, later on. on. Sophie goes to a party with Bianca and witnesses Bianca dramatically telling her story of getting there. I was so pissed at oh, this party. Oh, I had to, I had to, I had to like put the book down. Whoa. I was so mad. So this party is what Bianca's been slowly kind of working the the party circuit, Mm -hmm. I guess. But this is like a whole affair. This is a soiree. It's not just like a little drunken party. It's like, this is a big fancy party with all of the fancy people. So Bianca has (laughs) requisitioned them some nice dresses and they're going together. Mm -hmm. And for Sophie, this has like, a lot of significance because she watched Bianca go to all of these parties in the past before in Zeofant and had imagined being able to go along with her as like her date. Yeah. And so she's she's kind of getting to live this dream for herself. 
Um, but it goes sour real fast real quick. because yeah. Bianca's a bitch, An um, attention-seeking person. I hate Bianca. Yeah, we well, can we can actively she, say we hate Bianca now. So well, and I, you know, yes, like she saw what happened to Bianca was also traumatizing, like losing her friends in the rebellion and blah blah blah, getting used by and gaslighted by Mouth. Mm-hmm. But she still has not asked or acknowledged Sophie's trauma. No, not even a little bit. Bianca tells everybody Bianca's story oh. dramatically. Yeah. And Sophie's watching her and just is just like, what are you doing? Yeah. And Dash is um, the head of the Alva family. Mm-hmm. And he, this is his party. Mm-hmm. And, and the Alva family is very important. Yeah. He, they're one of the, the nine ruling families. Yeah. Sophie, even, the budding, probably lesbian, maybe bisexual, says that he's the most beautiful man she's ever seen. Mm-hmm. Like, he is just strikingly beautiful. And so, of course, Bianca and Dash start to notice each other. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and so Sophie is talking to Dash, and <sighs> Bianca just comes over and is just like, Oh, have you heard Bianca's story? It's just, it's just so awful. And it's just like, do you know Bianca or do you know Sophie's story? And she told it in such a like cocktail party way. Oh, you should have seen it where she was taken Mm -hmm. away by the police. And then she climbed a mountain and the, the entire time... Sophie has never told anybody Mm-mm. what has happened. Her crew back at the Illyrian parlor all understand that this is not the kind of thing that you dig into. Yeah. And her one quote unquote friend in the world hasn't bothered to ask what happened mm-hmm. because she's a bitch. Yeah. And the fact is that like she is now having the story kind of laid bare just from what Bianca has inferred has happened. Mm-hmm. And what I really like, though, is Sophie walks away and Bianca catches up with her and she confronts Bianca and is just like, you don't get to tell people my my trauma ever. Yeah. You know, you don't get to use it as some sort of like party trick. Yeah. And um, imagine like, well, and, and Bianca argues back and says, you know, I went through stuff, too, and blah, blah, blah. And and Sophie says quote unquote, it is not the same trauma. Mm-hmm. And it's not. It's not. And if it's not your trauma, you don't get to tell other people exactly. about it. Exactly. And it's not like Sophie was going around doing that same thing with Bianca. Bianca was the one telling Bianca's story, not Sophie. Mm. Yeah. So Bianca kind of just gives Sophie what she wants. She hugs her and says Sophie's past is off limits. Which I just, I'm just like, I can totally just, you can literally see her just, okay, this is what you want. This is what I'm going to say. It's like she's got a big whiteboard Mm -hmm. in her mind that she's taking notes on how to manipulate Sophie. So Sophie goes to see the galette because the bracelet is just going nuts. Yeah. And she meets up with one and it's showing her a vision of her coming to live with them. It's showing her what they what they would like. Yeah. Importantly, though, on her way there, left the kind of pit area Mm -hmm. that everybody's in, and she's now up kind of on the crust and has made her way into the 
dark into the night. And this is where the slums of the city is. Yeah. And it is, it's heartbreaking. There are people in these little shacks that are just barely any coverage from the cold. And there's a a child that's like calling out to her at one point and Sophie tries to help the kid mm-hmm. and the kid freaks out and just runs be- away because like yeah. yeah but so there's this kind of overlapping space of like a no man's land and mm-hmm. the place where people who have been pushed to the margins have to go because if you can't play the game like Alyssa or Bianca what else can you do in yeah. the city. So she finds this galette, sorry, and, no, and you're she dead. shows, she gets to see this vision of herself potentially living with them. And it's really peaceful and inviting <laughs> and she she wants to do it. And before she can really like do anything, she hears the shot of a um, what do you call that? Harpoon gun. Harpoon gun. Yeah. yeah. And Unfortunately, they heard it and they come, these people come running because they think Sophie's getting attacked by it. Because of, like, of course they do. Mm-hmm. They, they see what they think is a monster with its mouth apparatus on the face of a person. Mm-hmm. So they think that she's being eaten and it makes sense. But also my entire body cried out when the the gellet got hit with a harpoon. I know. Like, that poor creature is just trying to invite her to come over and stay for a little while and gets stabbed real bad with a martial weapon. Yeah. Ugh. And so, before the guy is able to get off another shot, she headbutts him. Yeah. And runs back into the city. Yeah. She is woken up by Bianca and Bianca just says, do you trust me? I have a plan to get us back to Xiophant and to take down the crown, basically. And she keeps forcing all of her decisions on Sophie. And Sophie has really no choice but to say, yes, I do trust you. Yeah. Well, I mean, she's her only tether, really, to the mm-hmm. world. Like, yeah. Omar's brother and family are kind and friendly and welcoming. But they're not necessarily... Like, her friends, they're not her family. They're not anything to her, really. Mm-hmm. So she thinks that Bianca's the only person in the world she has. So later on, Bianca and Sophie meet up with Dash again. And Bianca wants Sophie to give him a chance. And Sophie just sees through all of his, like, charm, basically. And yeah. he doesn't like that. Oh, he's he is the worst. Yeah. He's... And one thing that Bianca says to Sophie that I thought was creepy is he's very interested in you. Yes. And it's just like, why? He's dating you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that's where it's like, okay, Bianca's planning something. Yeah, something like, is Like, what up. have you told him? Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. So she walks away for a minute and Dash is, you know, talking to Sophie and all this stuff. One thing that he says is, how did you really survive the night? Mm-hmm. When you the, when you got executed or you know, the night of your execution, yeah, and um, she doesn't answer him. She's really upset and she's going through a lot in her mind. And there's a lot of um, and we are gonna skip a little bit over that because it's just there's a lot of conversation. Yeah, happening. and she's she's healing from yeah you know the trauma and she's realizing that her friendship with Bianca is, is toxic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are a couple of moments that stand out in it but Mm -hmm. the ultimate outcome is that 
Sophie is realizing that Bianca and she are not what she thought or and definitely not what she had hoped for. Mm-hmm. And at one point Bianca says if we had just grown up normally, if things had happened, if this had never happened, do you mm-hmm. think we'd be friends now? Yeah. Or do you think we would have drifted apart? And it's a very important moment for Sophie because it gets her thinking about is it because they are bonded over this trauma mm-hmm. or is it because of her feelings or what have you that they're together yeah. right now? So she's starting to question why they're spending time with each other. Mm-hmm. And that's pivotal. Yeah. <laughs> sponsorship this week. I wanted to talk to our wonderful listeners about something really cool that we decided to do together, and that is in no way a sponsorship. Please do not think this is a sponsorship. Uh, That is partnering with bookshop.org and becoming one of their affiliates. Um, We started a bookshop.org affiliate site to make all of the books that we talk about on this podcast and all of the ones that are like our special focus and even some of our favorite books easily available in like one stop for all of you. Now, when you shop on bookshop.org, we do get 10% of that sale if you use our affiliate link. And our lovely, wonderful Mary had the brilliant (laughs) idea of using all of that to donate to an amazing cause. This quarter... Mm-hmm. Maybe longer. It depends on how we're feeling about yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. We, we may shake it up. But for the time being, we're going to donate everything that we get on our bookshop.org affiliate page to the Trevor Project, which is yay! Yay! an organization that is near and dear to our hearts and does incredibly good things for the world in general and especially LGBTQIA+ youths yes yes uh if you have a chance please check out their website they i can't tell you enough how amazing their organization is and once we get bigger and we get more established uh, established um eventually on patreon you guys will be able to vote and decide where the donations go yes so we we it's so exciting (laughs) um i know for the time being i am so happy to be supporting the Trevor Project in whatever Mm -hmm. way that we can. And this is just one small way to give back while also supporting the indie shops in your area because bookshop.org partners with independent and small booksellers all across, I think, the United States and Canada, maybe the whole world. Who doesn't love Canada? I love Canada. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Canada. Okay, no, no. Okay. (laughs) No song break? No song break. (laughs) You can find our bookshop.org affiliate site through the description in this episode and our upcoming episodes as well. And then also on our website. You can also (laughs) reach out to us by email. We like that. We want to hear more from you. I know. I love the emails. Thanks for joining us here. Back to the episode. Bye. I think we're just right at Dash and all of the Dash's bullshit. I fucking hate Dash. You know, he, um... He's such a Chad. 
He is a Chad. I can't remember if he dies. Do you remember? No, I don't think he does. I don't think he does. I think it's implied that he... Oh, right. I just remembered the ending. He definitely doesn't die. There's a lot of... Well, eventually he does. Because the the true ending is at the beginning. But we can get back into that. Yeah, please do. Because I have a lot of questions. Do you want to get into that now? Because I feel like at the end, end, it would be better. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. So (laughs) Sophie ends up hanging out a little bit with Dash. Dash uh, asks her, how did you really survive the night? And it's kind of implied that he already knows. And so I'm wondering if Bianca told him. Oh, of course she did. Yeah, because she has a giant mouth. I have no doubt that she used that as, like, an interesting thing about her, you know? Mm -hmm. She's cool by association. I just fucking hate Bianca. I know. (laughs) Well, and so afterwards, you know, she she kind of tells Bianca, like, she's uncomfortable around him, blah, blah, blah. And Bianca turns it around again and is just like, I need you to give him a chance. He's important to me and, you know, make it work. Uh, you can't see this. Um, I just witnessed whatever just happened. Cole made the uh, jerk off motion and like spewed. I Nobody's guess. gonna believe you. Oh please. Okay, they will. Uh, and uh, what's interesting is his charm doesn't work on on Sophie at Sophie all. Sophie at all. Well, the thing is, I think that he's really good at charming a certain demographic of people, and those people are the ambitious, money-slash-power-hungry folks. And she's none of those things. Her ambitions are to be happy and safe. Mm-hmm. And to make sure that Bianca is safe. So she doesn't have an avaricious bone in her body. So Avaricious. Avaricious. I love that. Thanks. <laughs> she doesn't have an avaricious bone in her body, so she, of course she's not going to fall for this patina that he's slathered all over himself to make himself appealing to people who are. Mm-hmm. Ugh. He I, he's so smug that like he has the, the milk feels oily. Does that make yes, sense? Yes, totally. He has the most punchable face I've never seen. <laughs> like very punchable face. I love that. He's the most punchable face I've never seen. Yeah. Oh, I'm st- I'm stealing that. That's Please. <laughs> I mean, we've in the, in the course of this podcast, we've encountered a lot of punchable faces. Yes. There's the prince in Uprooted. There's the prince in Uprooted. <laughs> prince in Uprooted. There's the falcon in, in Uprooted. uprooted. Yeah. There's many townsfolk in Spinning Silver. There's the entire Doyle family in Mexican yes. yes. Gothic. Oh, and now we have Dash, and he is exquisitely punchable. Very punchable. Yes. Uh, so Sophie, you know, she just kind of thinks about it and she's just like, no, like there's something up with him. I'm, I'm not going to just go along with it for Bianca's sake. And that's, mm-hmm. it's an interesting turning point for her. Cause as you're reading it as a reader, you're just like, oh, this is one of the first times that she's just like, no, fuck Bianca. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like something's <laughs> definitely wrong here. Yeah. And yeah. I, it was, it, I, I was like, okay, Finally. Yes. Finally. Yes. Because I just, I, you're, you're so far into it at this point that you're just like, is she ever not going to be a mat? Yeah. You know? For Bianca to just mm-hmm. walk all over. And mm-hmm. I think a big part of that is the fact that she has spent time with 
other people, and she spent time with the Gethin. No, not Gethin. That's oh my god, Gellet. Gellet. The Gellet. The so the Gethin are a race of people in. Uh, the Left Hand of Darkness, the book that I said was, like, the spiritual oh, ancestor yeah, 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 of this yeah. book. The Gethin are a people in there. So, well, uh, Gethin, Galette. Like, yeah. it's close. I obviously have that on the mind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so she's been spending time with other people and with the Galette that literally she's... Bianca isn't her whole world anymore. When at a period of time she was. So I think that she's gained a little bit of perspective by being away from her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. which I'm, I'm like, good. Good. Good for you. <laughs> now keep stepping away. <laughs> Just leave her there. So Sophie decides to join Reynolds' scavenging group. Mm-hmm. Um, she's thinking that maybe if she introduces more humans to them, like, she can start to, like, barter or broker peace, I guess, yeah. between the two races and, yeah. and that sort of thing. And so she's she's also thinking, okay, so if I help with the scavengers, I can help the people in the more poor district. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, like she's ultimately she just wants to help. Yeah, she's she's in a position where she's seeing the worst parts of like the human experience mm-hmm. on her planet. So she lived through one of the worst things that can happen to a person on this planet and then she started seeing the people who are living on the boundaries in the margins of both cities and the people in between so she she her impetus is to go i can make this better in a small way Mm -hmm. and i think that's really important especially when you compare how bianca handles those kinds of things like the call to action that bianca sees is I need to dominate stuff and take over. Whereas the call to action that Sophie sees is I need to figure out how to help. Mm-hmm. And that's huge. It's huge that their impulses are that different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and they're so, yeah. <laughs> I'll get more into it. Like, <laughs> yeah. But, so she joins this group and Mouth is also part of it too. Mm-hmm. She wants to kind of help with the scavenging, but she also wants to learn more about the... Gillette. Oh my gosh. Is it Gillette or Gillette? I, I, I think I've been doing a hard G. 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 Okay. This is not a GIF, GIF situation. <laughs> so they suit up and they leave. Mm-hmm. Um, they come across a, a group of them um, and she explains how to communicate. Mm-hmm. You know, you put your face into the, uh, the tentacles. The penis fingers. <laughs> tentacles. The mole faces. Oh, why? <laughs> Why? I have had such peace for a moment. Oh, God. That is just terrifying. I'm sorry. I feel like a little bit of a bully bringing them up, but also it's really funny. Oh. Anyway, we're moving right along. Uh, she explains how to communicate with them. There's a lot of apprehension yeah. into that. Like, I, I don't blame them. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't want to mm-hmm. put my face in that either. Yeah. And so some of them do it, and as she is face first in the tentacle, she hears a harpoon gun fire. 
And uh, it switches POV to mouth, and while mouth is uh, face first in the tentacles, she sees a vision of death, basically. Mm -hmm. Dead flowers, dead volcanoes, ashes everywhere. She also sees a bunch of the suffering youth, uh, you know, like the baby galettes, basically. Yeah. And so she pulls her face out. The entire group has freaked out. Um, Reynolds shoots, has shot one of the galettes. Um, Mouth just takes off and is just trying to help in any way that she can. Yeah. Is it wrong that, like, the first, my first impulse here is I want to make sure that the galette is okay? Right. And you never find out if that galette dies. Yeah, I know. From the harpoon wound. Mm -hmm. And, like, that's my first... Yeah, you're just like, well, is, is, the, is like, that one fine? Colette, how is that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we get the privilege of finding out what happens with everybody else, but not the Galette. So, um, so Sophie just, just starts running towards the city. Yeah. She wants to get out of there yeah. as quickly as possible. And, and I think she wants to get out of there partly because she knows that that will signal the Galette to leave. Yeah. Because if she goes, then they They'll will disengage. Yeah. yeah. What I think is interesting is um, Sophie runs to Mouth and Alyssa's apartment, mm-hmm. and I and she doesn't run to Bianca. She doesn't run to anybody else. She goes to Mouth and Alyssa's apartment. Yeah, yeah, that's such a good point. Mm-hmm. That I mean, it I think more than anything signals to um, the reader that she's starting to realize that Bianca is not the first person she can turn She's to in a crisis. Safe. Yeah. Yeah. She eventually just kind of stays with Mouth and Alyssa for a little while um, until she can kind of figure out her next step. Yeah. Alyssa and Mouth have uh, tracked down a shooter who uh, shot a perfectionist, which is part of the family that they uh, are a part of now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the kind of mafia-style, like mob families that are in charge of everything. I, I find the family names so interesting. Yeah, I know. I really wish that there was, like, a list of all of the families, because I think we only see, like, two or three. I think we, yeah, we're only introduced to three, I think, yeah, in, this but whole, in this whole book. There's supposed to be, like, 12 or something, mm-hmm. but I don't know. I feel like the world building here is big enough that it could have been an entire series. And I know it's a standalone but I'm just greedy. I'm greedy and I want to know everything. <laughs> You're greedy. You want to know everything. I love that. Uh, one thing that it, that Mouth keeps thinking about is the vision that she's that she saw, mm-hmm. and she kind of tells herself that somehow amidst all of the death, there was a, a message. Something beautiful died, and everybody's going to suffer. Mm-hmm. And she keeps thinking about that even when she's, you know, tracking down the shooter, even when she's working with the family. It's gotten under her skin is the thing. It's it's Mm -hmm. one of those things that she can't shake. Which is such an interesting feeling. Yeah. Because that's like, I'm such a, like, sensitive person isn't the right word because I am, Mm -hmm. I'm not super sensitive. Words, though, have like a giant meaning to me yeah so like you know that that saying uh words or actions are stronger than words or whatever Mm -hmm. like yes i can see that Mm -hmm. but the 
things that come out of your mouth, you to me at least, you better like actually mean what you say. <laughs> yes. Because I take that stuff to heart. Yeah. Yeah, and you're I mean, there's there's a lot of trauma. I mean, if I know you. Like if you're a stranger, <laughs> you can say whatever the fuck you want and I'll just tell Water you. Water off a duck's back. Yeah, tell you to fuck <laughs> off. Um, but there, there's a lot of trauma in this book, but I think one of the things that like it doesn't as explicitly show is how dr- how traumatic that encounter was for Mouth and the others. Mm-hmm. It's you in the moment you see that, but the way that Mouth reacts to it is the same way that Sophie reacted to her physical trauma. To me, I read that from a philosophical standpoint of her encountering something that is so beyond her paradigm that it's completely usurped her her ability to think about things in her normal way. So mm-hmm. she's had this huge paradigm shift and that is traumatic. So I will say that this this book touches a lot on trauma mm-hmm. and I think Charlie does an amazing job of writing what trauma is like for the person yes. dealing with it. Yeah. Yeah, but and just seeing that growth too. Yeah, so it's really, really nice and honest. Yeah, yeah, I, I especially appreciate that there's this kind of existential trauma that happens when these people recognize an alien intelligence for the first time, mm-hmm. and it's. I can imagine that that's actually how it would be. Mm -hmm. Especially one that completely takes over your mind for a minute. There's a reason why Sophie is special. Because she can handle this. Mm -hmm. And the others cannot. Oh, it's just... Yeah. Yeah. The the growth that Sophie goes through is... It is very beautiful. Yeah, I think. it's truly beautiful. Yeah, but to kind of return, um, Mouth is thinking about this the whole time that she's yeah. off, like on a mission. Yeah, as like a pretty much a gun runner. Yeah, you know? she's she's uh, the the muscle doing transport for some illicit goods in Argello, and she's still thinking about you know little penis fingers. Oh God, what she saw in that vision. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so we're gonna go next to um, Sophie's back with Bianca. Bianca wants to show Sophie what her and Bash have really been working on. Dash. Dash. Oh God, I wrote it as Bash. It's fine. Um, he doesn't deserve respect or a name. <laughs> He's such a twat. Why don't we call him twat now? Yeah, we can call him twat. Uh, anyway, so there are a lot of uh, vehicles with. Uh, like all-terrain vehicles with weaponry. Yeah, she effective Bianca effectively takes Sophie to like this bunker yeah. that has like all of these military-grade vehicles. I-, I imagine it's like if your friend tells you, "Hey, I want to show you something fun," and you're expecting like a macrame portrait, and they show you a tank, like. The fact that Sophie's like, yeah, no, okay, this kind of makes sense that she's showing me this, but also at the same time, she's like, she wasn't up. really that surprised. She wasn't. But that she su- was upset. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way of putting that. She wasn't surprised, but she was upset. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the the plan basically revolves around Sophie and the Galette. So, mm-hmm. um, in order to storm Ziaphant, which is what. Bianca and Dash have decided they're going to do. Yeah. 
Um, they need the galette to, uh, send, like, take them across the, the ice and mm-hmm. lead them there. Because and, and... it's the only way to get the, the vehicles yeah. that they need to storm a city yeah. across the this ice. world. Oh, God. And so uh, Sophie actually says no. Mm-hmm. That she doesn't want to be a part of this. She doesn't want the Galettes to be a part of this. She doesn't want to storm Ziophant. There's innocent people there. Mm-hmm. And um, Bianca pulls the ultimate, ultimate guilt card. Yes. And goes, I thought this is what you wanted to. <laughs> and I'm just like, I got so angry. Because she then says, Sophie... You've always needed me to push you, or whatever, to give you an excuse to do the things that you were too scared to do on your own. And I just, I'm like, no, you're making her do something that morally is wrong. Yeah. And you're making her do something that she does not want to do. Yeah. And this is, I mean, just as a general statement, this is kind of the things that can happen when you're in a toxic relationship of any dimension, especially when that person is the only person that you're invested in like if you have all of your eggs in one toxic basket they're all gonna rot yeah wow what a metaphor that was thanks (laughs) i appreciate it i do want to just say as an aside i i've been thinking about this since i read the book it seems very strange to me that this world seems to have completely lost flight yeah. They have no helicopters or planes or anything. Oh, and that's I'm, a good thought. I'm sure it was just like one of those things that having a helicopter would be too easy to like have come and fix something for the plot to work. But it's strange to me that, that the people traveled through space and can't make a biplane. Right. Right? To go across the ice. I wonder if there's like a particular geological reason for it maybe i'm thinking too much about it but these are the things i think about when i read science fiction (laughs) books (laughs) well and so bianca goes on to say so i'm going to make this easy for you we are doing this and it's too late to stop it oh those vehicles are all ready to go and you and i are going to do this together it's already decided there's no need for you to torture yourself about it Listen, fuck you, bitch. I just... She's so manipulative. We are doing this. It's been decided. Mm -hmm. Like, you're you're not giving choice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she never wants Sophie to have a choice in the first place. Mm -hmm. For her, Sophie's choices should always be Bianca's choices, but with Sophie's resources. Ugh. We then go to Mouth, and Bianca... Uh, is telling Alyssa and Mouth her plan, basically. Let's them in on the invasion plan. They agree to go on the the mission. Um, Sophie wants to flee, and Mouth agrees to help her. Mm -hmm. And I... I can... I... As a reader, I was very frustrated frustrated at this part. But as the character, I can understand why she did this. Mm -hmm. So, Mouth was gonna just help Sophie uh, slip out, Mm -hmm. basically. And Alyssa said that she would help, too. And um, says that she has, like, an errand that she needs to run. It'll be right Mm -hmm. back. Well, she brings Bianca back to the apartment. 
Yeah. I was so upset. So Well, and that's because Dash is the leader of the perfectionists. Mm-hmm. And that's the family that they work for. Mm-hmm. So she is doing something right by the family. So effectively, she brings her back specifically to keep in the good graces of the perfectionists. Because she, she again, is telling Mouth, like, this is how you move up in this society. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, we are loyal to them. We're not... We are loyal to the family. We're not loyal to Sophie and the Galads, basically, and that kind of stuff, which I just... I just, I found that to be an interesting betrayal. Mm -hmm. Well, I I think that it really underscores that whole, we're going to stick with these silly, seemingly arbitrary human hierarchies and hold ourselves back from actual progress. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so Bianca... I mean, ultimate guilt trips her. Yeah. Could you imagine? I just... Oh, Ugh. no. It just makes me feel gross. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, if I was doing something so repugnant, which I don't think... I, I can't think of anything that I wouldn't get stress sweats from that would cause all of the people I know to, like, come up with a clandestine plan to stop me from doing that thing, mm-hmm. I I would immediately stop. If all of my... If you and Ren and Robbie and my other close friends got together and were like, hey, we need to figure out a way to not let this happen, I would second-guess my actions. That's what friends are for. They're supposed to keep you level-headed when you're going off. Ugh, there's some... Also, there's some parts that I highlighted that just, like... So, Mouth in part, uh, like, in her arguing uh, mm-hmm. of trying to, like, get Sophie out of this, mm-hmm. Sophie tells Bianca, or, I'm sorry, Mouth tells Bianca, Sophie has an amazing gift, something that nearly killed me when I tried to do it. She can touch something that maybe nobody else has ever touched, and you're forcing her to use it for destruction. And Bianca just says, your point. Come on. She's the worst. And so Sophie begins to kind of look back on her journey here with Bianca. And she says, the look on Bianca's face after we survived the sea of murder, the way she insisted on seeing the galette as my servants, the frenzy in which she threw herself into high society, which was really true. It was like, it was like a manic episode. Yeah. She didn't sleep. She didn't eat. All she did was party and Mm -hmm. like rub elbows. Elbows with people. Yeah. Yeah. Even the things she said in the storeroom when we first slept there, she's been planning to use me the entire time we left home. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, yeah, girl. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, and it makes you kind of reassess that first day that they were back together again when Sophie shows up, Bianca starts blaming her, and then leaves her dorm room with a freaking like AK 40, space AK 47, mm-hmm. and starts making her way down to where the rest of the rebels were. It makes me think that she was trying to bring Sophie there to use her as some sort of martyr yeah, or some sort of like she was already formulating a new way to use Sophie and she was mad because she had to like edit her original plan. Well, and she's 
and I we talk about this as if like Sophie's cool and was like just gonna go in this. She's devastated. Yeah. That she's being forced into this, that mm-hmm. she can't run to the safety of the galettes. And well, at the same time, it just goes to show you how manipulative Bianca is, because literally every action a person takes is a choice. Every action. There is a possibility that Bianca could look away and Sophie could leave, mm-hmm. but she doesn't. Yeah. At the and I've of course I'm not trying to blame the victim of gaslighting here, but like yeah. she does have a couple of opportunities as far as I'm concerned to get herself out of it. Well, she says, I never loved anybody the way that I have loved Bianca, but I know in my shattered core that I I would have been a better friend to her if I had walked away in that scrapyard. I need to learn to belong to other people the way everyone else seems to, with one hand in the wind. Hmm. And I'm like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oof. So the convoy leaves, and um, as they're traveling, they get attacked by bison, which again, words in this book don't mean anything. anything. <laughs> so do you trust me? We'll get into that. Do you uh, do you want to describe what a bison? Uh, to me, they they're like pterodactyls. <laughs> like they they're they're like pterodactyl sandworms almost. Yes. Right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They they have some sort of like vestigial <laughs> maybe wings and like big mouths. And I feel like the chaos that is described intentionally blurs the description of the creatures. Yeah, because I think so too. It, it makes them more terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> because you only kind of catch like the glimpse out of the corner of your eye. It's it's like that movie, what was it? Cloverfield, where you never really see the monster. I never saw it. It's a, it's a shaky cam movie. I don't like it. Sh- I think that's why I didn't. They see make me it. dizzy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the the bison, they get attacked by a, a bison, which isn't a bison, and then um, they also get attacked by this giant feathered squid mm-hmm. which um do you remember what that's called do they just refer to it as a squid they refer to it as a squid as a squid but it's it's not a it's squid it's not a squid like it has these it is a sea monster for yeah. sure oh yeah but it is not a squid it's a heavily fe- in these like really bright colors and yeah. stuff like that mm-hmm. so it's like a parrot underwater with tentacles yeah yeah yeah, yeah, I think that's an accurate description. <laughs> yeah. No, but imagine it like the size of, <clears throat> I don't know, a large building. Yes, you know, I mean, like skyscraper huge. size yeah. for, for a point of reference. It's the way that its tentacles are described is big enough to like easily manhandle these convoy vehicles. Yeah. So <laughs> this is not like a little cuttlefish. No. <laughs> and so the the convoy gets pretty damaged. Mm-hmm. Um, they're now kind of they're, on the ice. Say, go ahead. Oh, I, I was just going to say, in the middle of it, there's like some politicking going on about yes. who's going to go where. And like, at one point, one of the guys who was like in Dash's team, who was like kind of a minor background character, mm-hmm. like gets sent out to fix one of the vehicles and gets probably eaten by a bison or by the thing. Because he's never heard from again. Um, the squid thing, that is. But the actual description of what's going on, just to kind of collapse it down, is shit gets 
goes sideways. It goes quickly. Very sideways. And they all get bitchy at each other about who outranks who and who's more important and who can be driving and all of that. And I find that stuff interesting. But I can already see Mary's eyes glazing over. I just don't care. (laughs) That's fine. You know, like, and I do this in, um, because Robbie says that I don't like fantasy or I don't like sci-fi. And that's Mm -hmm. a lie. Because I loved, oh gosh, the, what's the movie on Mars where they like go to, um. The Martian? Yes. The Martian's great. Yeah, I loved that. I think that the motivations of a lot of classic sci-fi are not things that you find compelling. I just, when it comes to, even in fantasies, when it's like a war chapter or Mm -hmm. like politics and a king, I just don't care. I am so, we we have a couple of the books that we have that we're doing in the next few months planned out and we've got one that I picked and it's another sci-fi book and I think it's going to be your kind of sci-fi. Okay. It's like wearing... A very glittery, very glamorous jacket. Love it. Out on a night in the middle of the summer. I love it. You know, and it's because we also watched Dune. Yeah. And Wait, the new one? Yeah. I haven't seen it yet. And I I liked it. I was mm-hmm. a little confused. And so Robbie took that as, oh, Mary doesn't like sci-fi. No, that's not true. Listen, I haven't <laughs> seen this new one. There's, but it's a lot of whispering. Yeah. And so I just didn't catch a lot of Totally plot. fair. Totally so, fair. I think that's what it was. I haven't seen this new one. But it was good. Do not at me, fans, but there has not been a strong history of film adaptations of Dune. Um, so. This was this was good. Oh, I'm glad. I'm it's glad. gonna it's like Lord of the Rings level. I will say the good. one thing that I'm disappointed about is that um in <laughs> Once Upon a Time, Kyle McLaughlin, uh or McLaughlin? I don't know if it's a f or a cl- um, but I have no idea. Kyle MacLachlan, Flynn, Clinton. I just know him from Sex and the City. Oh, amazing. That's the first thing I've ever seen him in. <laughs> really? You yeah. didn't see Twin Peaks? No. Oh my God. <laughs> well, he's he plays Paul Atreides in um, an older version, version, and he's like nips out the entire time. Yeah. It did a number on pubescent me. <laughs> so it was. I mean, Timothy Chalamet like makes sense to me as a Paul Atreides, but. Kyle McLaughlin. Speaking of... Okay, so speaking of him, I never got the hype of like, oh my god, he's so hot, he's so cute, blah, blah, blah. Never got it until I watched Dune. Yeah. I watched Dune, and then I was like, okay, Timmy. Okay, Timmy, see. I see ya. I think he's like one of those people that doesn't necessarily photograph as well as he does, like, animate. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, like can, that makes sense. I feel like a still photo of me is very strange, but like I feel like I am better in a video because I have my personality in there too. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I think he's one of those people. Like he's not my type. Yeah. But no, he's not my type. I want I more meat on them. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. You know. Uh, that's all beside the point. I, my my entire point is Eventually, through the course of this podcast, I think there will be one science fiction book that you enjoy, and it all has to do with what the fuck is the point of the book. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think um, we're covering it in January, January, but what is it called? The Space Opera. Space Opera, yeah. And you said it's like Eurovision, but in space. So yeah, I'm very it excited. is like Eurovision in space. It's so good. All right. I'm so excited. 
So, uh, basically, shit went down. They fucked around and found out. (laughs) (laughs) They did indeed fuck around and find out, didn't they? (laughs) And so they're kind of stranded on the ice. And (laughs) I love this part. Sophie is able to, you know, let the galette know where she's at. And they surround the command vehicle. And Sophie is like, peace out. I'm gone. Bye. I'm just going to go with them. Bye. See you later, alligator. <laughs> and, um, or crocodile. <laughs> After a while, crocodile. <clears throat> and so, uh, Mouth decides to leave with her and mm-hmm. gives Alyssa, like, a hug. Alyssa basically is just like, fuck you, dude. Well, she asks Alyssa to come. And Sophie mm-hmm. asks Bianca to come. I, which I just... <sighs> no, don't take them to the Batcave. What are you doing? <laughs> but, I mean, I think that Sophie believes... That there is still good in Bianca. And then if anybody can find that good, it's the glut, mm-hmm. honestly. And there's no good left. She's not no. even willing to try. So, you know, fuck her. She can stay. Whatever. So, Mouth and Sophie go with the galette to Crocodopolopolis. <laughs> <laughs> You like that? That was the top of my dome. I was gonna ask you if that's in your fucking notes. <laughs> no, it's just off the top of my dome. <clears throat> oh my god, that's its that's its name now. It's Crocodile. not it's Crocodile. not the city. <laughs> it's not the city in the middle of the night. It's not the what was it the Rose City? The Rose City, yeah. It's the city. Crocodocalopolis. I can't even say it. <laughs> oh my god! Oh, that was good. <laughs> oh, who? So we have both of our point of view characters, mouth and fuck. Sorry, it's still getting me. <laughs> okay, cool. Hakuna, your tatas. so we have both of our point of view characters importantly in one place so everything else that's going back going on back in zeophant is completely off book like we don't don't know. know anything that's going on because the entire time we've been reading it's been either from sophie's point of view or mouth's point of view Mm -hmm. and that's how it continues we don't get another character built in to elucidate what's happening. Mm-hmm. So we're left kind of wondering in the same boat that... Are they stranded? Are, are they, they dead? dead? Are they... What's going on? Mm-hmm. And Because Sophie's just like, I'm, I don't want to be a part of this. Yeah. I'm just going to go live with them. Bye. Bye. <laughs> and I'm out. So um, they're in Crocodoc... 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 Fuck. <laughs> Crocodocalypse. There we go. <laughs> Part of it. It's impossible to pronounce. No, it's yeah. I said it once. That's all you're getting. That's okay. That's uh, fair. So Sophie and Mouth are led into this tunnel, and mm. they go deep, deep underground, yeah. and into the like, into this mountain, like into an area that's got like thermal pools and stuff. Like yeah. it's got geothermal activity down there. Like of course there's geothermal activity on the crust of Earth, but. I don't know necessarily how much of it gets up to the crust in January. So on January, 
On January. On January, yeah. yeah. And do you see that the Galette have used tech from the mothership um, and can still communicate with it, which I guess mm-hmm. is a, a big deal. Yeah. Because uh, nobody's been able to communicate with it in like 25 years or generations, maybe. In a long, long time. A very long time. They make uh, Sophie... This... Okay. This is where it starts to turn for me a little bit. <laughs> okay. Okay. This is the part that you're, that's really putting you off about the book. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Cause okay. all right. Cause this is one of the parts that I thought was the coolest. Okay. Yeah. Well, I have questions. I have maybe answers. I don't know. Let's see. <laughs> <laughs> so they make mouth and Sophie watch a video from the old crew that yeah. was on the mothership. And my question is, if you can, you, if they have all of this technology, they can communicate with the mothership. They have enough technology that you can watch a fucking video, mm-hmm. but they can't communicate, like, and let people know that they're not monsters. Like, they are the natives to this planet. Like, that's what doesn't make sense to me. I think that's what they've been trying to do the whole time. Um, and I have my little Cole's Corner dedicated specifically to that, <laughs> actually. Right. My, my very... But can you understand as a reader why yeah. that just wouldn't make sense totally, to me? Totally. Okay. But having the technology and then being able to, like, reverse engineer it in such a way that you could also utilize it, it's like if we... It's like if we didn't have eyes and then needed to first understand what sight means and then describe a color to somebody. Okay. Like, like there's, there's, my very first publication was about, um, uh, Ender's Game, which has another, it's another science fiction. I read that. Ender's Game? Mm -hmm. It's all right. Uh, Orson Scott Card is a monster, so uh, oh. get it secondhand and okay. don't support him. All right. Um, but good to, good to know. <laughs> yeah, my first publication was about Ender's Game, and there's another alien race that humans and they cannot communicate with each other. They don't have a, a shared language or a shared like anything. So I got to write about what was called uh, conceptual relativism. Okay. In that they have different structures in their minds for what is meaningful so um they're they're very concepts of communication are so different from ours that we can't bridge that hmm. gap and that's what i'm gonna get into in a little bit all right yeah um so they they watch this video the there's this crew member and she's talking about how the alien race here on january has terraformed the planet using flora and heat from the volcanoes transferring heat from uh the light side of the planet and uh like transferring it to the darker side Mm -hmm. using like thermodynamics basically yeah which i just think is cool really cool and and it makes sense Mm -hmm. and at at one point it talks about how they have both bioengineering and geoengineering yeah and so in a way as far as like the human measure of progress is they are much more advanced than the humans that land um and 
because of the way that they live and the way that they look, the humans are like, oh no, those are just animals. But if you were to take that same technology and give it to a person, they'd go, oh, this is one of the greatest things that's ever existed, Mm -hmm. you know? And so she's saying that they created the atmosphere. Um, One thing that I also kind of questioned was, so they're on a tidal locked planet, Mm -hmm. but there's an atmosphere yeah yeah so tidally locked just means that it is facing one direction it's not like the actual tides of like i see um water or anything i I don't know what the like roots that the greek or latin roots probably latin roots are that make that meaningful Mm. but it effectively means that just we rotate around an axis and also rotate around the sun. It only rotates around its sun. So it doesn't turn. So one side is always oh, facing I'm, the sun. I see. Okay. Yeah. So it doesn't mean that it's just locked in place. It mm-hmm. can still rotate. Mm-hmm. Okay. But it's got, it. it's got that one. You know when you're driving and it's hot outside and it feels like the sun is just constantly on that one part of your cheek? Yeah. It's like that. Okay. <laughs> only a planet. Okay. All right. <laughs> She then goes into this, she gets upset in the video and says, like, don't trust the aliens. They have a surgery that'll change you into them. Mm-hmm. And Sophie is just like, sweet, let's, let's do, do it. it. <laughs> <laughs> and I am was more on the side of mouth where it's just like, no. <laughs> <laughs> so effectively what this this video is was from one of the original like people from the mothership who came across the gallet mm-hmm. and was starting to do what Sophie's been doing is starting to kind of talk to the gallet mm-hmm. but when it comes down to the the fact that she's facing the opportunity to physically change to have those same sensory apparatuses that the Gellet has, she's like, fuck that. No, I'm not going to do it. Whereas Sophie is like completely embracing the idea because she's already partway there. She's volunteered for this, whereas the other woman thought that the Gellet were trying to force her into it. Ugh. Which later on, there's no forcing. Yeah. Like, it is very much consensual. Mm-hmm. I, no thank you. <laughs> you uh, don't want to? You don't want to have a wolf face. So she, so Sophie goes through with the surgery and in, you know, as she's laying on the table, they're trying to communicate with her. Like, are you sure you want to do this? And she says to them, I understand. I understand that this will be incredibly painful. This will be impossible to undo. They'll need to take, you'll need to take me apart and reassemble me. Uh, And you cannot guarantee mastery. Yes, I said. Yes, do it. I want that, please. It's like Ooh. she's begging for it. And yeah. I and I'm just like I have like do you lose are you going to lose your humanity? Do you like See, that's the question, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Are you going to lose your humanity or are you going to gain your personhood in another society? Mm-hmm. Is the real question. It, and it kind of comes down to that line of sort of medical ethics, too. Like what is the most you will allow a person to do to themselves before they are not allowed to continue to do that thing? Mm-hmm. Because this does compromise what it means to be human. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I could go into that for days, but I will spare everyone. <laughs> and she, she also says, in half a day, I have inklings that they're opening me up and taking away pieces somewhere below 
my floating head. The drugs help me not mind, but I don't mind in any case. They can take anything they want as long as they give me what they promised. Mm-hmm. That is just such a complete... You're just completely trusting mm-hmm. these this other race. Yeah. And they are a lot... Like you said, they are way more technologically advanced. Oh, yeah. We couldn't do that. No. We couldn't give somebody, like any other creature's body part as far as I'm aware. Ooh, no, I think I remember reading something about like a liver, like a pig liver or a kidney or something like that. I mean, pigs are very anatomy-wise pretty close to us. But, let's pick the the diametric opposite of us, the octopus. Could you give somebody octopus tentacles? No, you cannot. You know what? Actually, maybe let me not speak for the medical person in the room. Can we give octopus tentacles to a person? I have feelings about octopi. I think most of this is going to blow a lot of people either off of this podcast or not. But (laughs) I I don't think... I'm just going to say, I think they're like alien. I think it's entirely possible. I think cephalopods are unbelievably intelligent. They, Mm -hmm. I mean, they bully other creatures just Mm -hmm. for fun. I mean, come on. They are so smart. They are so interesting. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, but as far as that shit, like, because you're going into, oh, yeah, I'm not, yeah, I'm not an expert in that shit. But that's the thing is that even the concept of it is Mm -hmm. so far away for us that I don't think that the humans on January would have that capability either. Mm -hmm. So we're talking biomedically, they are engineering a new creature that is both Gellet and And human. human. She's become a hybrid. And that's exactly it, because when she describes herself after the surgery, it's like her little, she has those little tentacles Mm -hmm. on her clavicle. She has pinchers coming out of her back, I think. I think so, yeah. But she still is able to communicate with mouth, but now she's she's able to fully communicate with Mm -hmm. the glut. Like, she can share back with them, and she can also share with mouth, like they did mm-hmm. and that i think is a very interesting moment when yes. when sophie sits down with mouth and is like hey hey you want to try this <laughs> so mouth opens up to sophie tells sophie like the her story basically how her people harvested the flora and ruined the planet and sophie takes it to the galette and actually brings it back to mouth and is like, hey, there's actually more to this story than what you know. Mm-hmm. And so the galette show mouth essentially like a, a memory. Mm-hmm. And it shows, um, you know, her people harvesting the flora, ruining the planet, you know, changing that so much so that they ch- actually change the atmosphere of mm-hmm. the planet. And so it's actually the citizens that caused um, a lot of the... Current climate crisis. Yeah, planetary Because issues. of their, their um, unwitting involvement in undoing some of the, mm-hmm. the geoengineering that the Gallet did. Well, and then um, the citizens caused the acid rain that poured on the Gallet's nursery. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of the last straw. So they, they created the... Um, the blue roaches mm-hmm. and sent them out and and 
they killed everything. Yeah. And everybody. And this, I think, is interesting because it's the only actual moment that the Gellet have done something aggressive towards humans. Mm-hmm. And it was in response to something else that the humans had done. And it was also to a group that didn't matter to the rest of humanity, I want to say. Of course, all people matter, but the rest of the cities and the towns and stuff didn't care about the citizens. So the fact that so many people think that the Gellet are provoking them, and this is the only thing that they've ever done, Mm -hmm. is huge. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's a big revelation for Mouth, too, Mm because she finally understands, like... Why they died. Why they died. Yeah. And she's she's a bit ashamed and confused and hurt at the same time. Mm-hmm. She understands where the Gellet are coming from, but she also is like mourning the loss of her people still, mm-hmm. but from a new direction. So the Gellet wants Sophie to actually go back to Xiophont. They want her to bring, um, I guess, recruits is the best More way. people like her. Yeah, more people like her to get the surgery. Mm-hmm. Hybrids. Can I tell you the stupidest thing? Yeah. Of course. It just dawned on me that she calls the first Gallet that she met Rose. Yeah. And the city is rose-shaped. Well, yeah. They, she says that, so she Did I just skip that line? Yeah, it was in the beginning <laughs> oh of the... When she first meets Rose and Rose shows her the city, she was like, well, I'm just going to call her Rose after the rose-shaped city in the, in, in the mountain. You know how, like, sometimes you're not 100% in, in like, full drive when you're oh, reading? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I must have been in neutral. Oh, well, it's all like, good. Like, I can't believe I just made a car metaphor. You're so what the funny. fuck is happening? You're like, you have like this just epiphany and, and then you were like, yeah, dude. Everybody knows. <laughs> it's not a secret. We all been new. Um, and one thing that uh, the Galettes say or, or maybe Sophie translates it in mm-hmm. such a way, but it says so everybody can walk together, yeah. which I thought was really mm-hmm. a, an interesting way to, to say that. Yeah, yeah. And it's also interesting that you learn they, they communicate with memories. Like, mm-hmm. they um, will show, like, visions and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Like, that's... It's more sense memories and images mm-hmm. rather than words, mm-hmm. per se. So, going back to Mouth, uh, she's willing to go to Xiphont with Sophie. Um, I'll protect you, she says to Sophie. Sophie... It's going to be very... Uh, dangerous, right? Because Sophie yeah. looks different. Yes. She has tentacles coming out of her chest. And pincers on her back. Pincers on her back, yeah. And especially the fact that they're going to Zeofan, which is very regimented. Yeah. And has ex- like extremely narrow margins for like how you're supposed to dress, how you're supposed to act, what you're supposed to do with your time. There's, there's f- very little way that you could get away with wearing something out of the ordinary or act in a way that's considered unorthodox. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sophie, as they're getting ready to leave, there's one uh, specific galette that walks up to her and uh, kind of gives her a present, and it's Rose. It's Rose. I was wondering if we were ever going to see her. Yeah. And I, I got the feeling that um, Rose stayed around kind of the edges of Zeofant and the big mountain there that was like part of her, I don't know, territory, stomping grounds, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was 
I was worried that we would never encounter her again. I know. But But we do. And she's, uh, she has the timepiece that Sophie gave her. Yeah. Yeah. And at that point, too, she also, like, they also share, share together? Is that the way we're going to put that? They share together, kind of. Sophie impressing upon uh, Rose, like, her determination to do this Mm -hmm. and then also rose sharing back with her the her own memory of seeing sophie the first time and like the feeling that she had and how she wanted to help and that that to me was a really powerful moment Mm -hmm. of the this thing is a thing that has killed a bunch of my people and doesn't understand us but i'm still going to do what i can to make sure that it doesn't die you know it it reminds me of a person coming across an injured animal yeah. and like all of those amazing videos online of like finding a dog that's frozen or something and all of the people do you not go into that corner of the internet no no it's like it, they're all happy stories of like people coming across an animal that is in crisis and then all of these people coming together and doing their best to help the creature Ugh. That makes me so sad. Like, there's a really, really heart-wrenching one about a horse that fell into a ravine. And, like, I'd say dozens of people showed up just to, like, lend brute strength to try and get this horse out of this ravine. And they did. And the horse was so happy afterward. It's fine. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) So we're going to go into part seven. This was the last part of the book. So uh, they make it to Xiophant. A cyclone has ripped through the majority of the city. Specifically, like, the light side of the city's been Mm -hmm. hit hard. Very hard. Yeah. Yeah. They see George the banker, and uh, we learn that Bianca and Dash have overthrown the government. Um, He says that he can't help them, Mm -hmm. uh, that they need to go. Um, It's interesting because Mouth is like, oh, you still owe the the reclaim... Reli- and reclaimers. <laughs> the reliable current. <laughs> oh my god. I know what that's from. Oh, leave me be. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the reliable couriers a favor, and then he says that favor's already been cashed in by your friend. So oh, we know right. that Alyssa made it there. Alyssa made it there. Yeah. And while well, we also learned that Bianca and everybody makes yeah, it. Yeah, because her face they... is all the fucking money. Yes, <laughs> yeah. which is, yeah. Like, yeah. Okay. Can you imagine, like, the worst French, the worst friendship you've ever had? Going to a city and seeing that person's face on the bills. Like, oh, oh my oh god. God. It'd be, like, you know, if I was on money, I think that'd be okay, because I'm cute. You're very cute. I'm cute. And you've I'm likable. You've got a very money face. Thank you. You've got a, yeah, I would love a little curio of it. It's <laughs> real sweet. <laughs> and then it's, it's pretty, like instantaneous that uh, as soon as they leave they they see dash and a couple of his cronies walk into george the banker's establishment mm-hmm. and they're uh giving him a lot of shit about like they want a new roof for the castle yeah and you have to remember that a cyclone just went through the city 
a lot of people need roofs. <laughs> yeah. And so he's doing the best he can, and apparently that's not good enough. So Dash breaks his legs. Yeah. So again, that, With a baseball that sort of mafia style mm-hmm. of rule, I'm just going to go in and break shit until I get my way. Which I'm sorry, but if anybody that's ever had a broken leg, you're not going to do shit quickly. No. <laughs> you just made him be even slower. <laughs> You dumbass. I love... See, this is... Again, this is why I would want you on the money. I would vote you into whatever space parliament or other, because you would be very pragmatic. Yeah, we can break his legs, but then the work will take longer. Yeah, dumbass. He'll need at least one day to break go to the his, doctor. Break his leg after. After. He'll still learn the lesson. <laughs> um... <laughs> Uh, he also, uh, says something about Alyssa being in the dungeon after, you know, like, basically she says that she's part of this family and wants, you know, uh, brought Bianca to Mouth and, um, Mm -hmm. Sophie trying to leave. So Sophie, or Sophie, so Bianca and Dash have basically just said that Mouth and Sophie are traitors to the crown basically their persona non grata persona non grata it's um uh people who shouldn't be dealt with oh that's a real thing yeah i thought you just were clearing your throat maybe i had to clear out my tentacles it's fine uh no persona non grata it's just people that shouldn't be given the time of day they've been excommunicated expelled they're on the shit list say that one more time persona Persona. non Grata. Non grata. Love it. Latin. All right. It's in there. It's in my brain now. Because Alyssa was a partner or whatever with Mouth, she's also been designated like a traitor of the crown, basically. Yes. Even though really Alyssa, in my opinion, even though what she did was wrong, she herself was trying to be loyal. To Bianca and Dash. Yeah. Yeah. In her own convoluted way, she was trying to follow the rules. And so they've, they've had her imprisoned, we learn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then Dash is just, he's saying that uh, they're using Bianca's face, but they're the one that's really running the, the things here. Mm-hmm. Sophie agrees to let Mouth get more information from Alyssa before they try and rescue Bianca. Mm-hmm. Um, Sophie is just convinced Bianca is also in trouble. Yeah. And um, I think she thinks that Dash is using Bianca, Bianca as some mm-hmm. sort of like nefarious figurehead. So uh, of course she doesn't as she goes to Bianca and she sees she's fine. She's definitely changed. Um, she definitely has more of a air of, um, you know, I'm the queen. She she but she almost seems like. She's also affecting this, like, oh, I'm kind of tired of it already, mm-hmm. and, oh, it's such a hard job, etc., etc. Like, she's she's trying to make it seem like not only is it um, something that she's attained, but it's something that she's attained and is now sort of, like, I don't know, dismissive of? Yeah. Yeah. Because she's a bitch. <laughs> So, um, she walks in, she lets Bianca know that she's there, Mm -hmm. and, um, at first Bianca doesn't see the changes yet, and 
she goes, here you are, back from the dead one more time, but this time I have even more things that I never got to say. I couldn't believe you just walked, you walked away and left us there in the middle of the ice fields. I asked you to come with me. I begged for you to come with me. You wanted this too, and you just left. You promised to trust me and stick with me forever, and then you just left me to die in the wilderness, but I didn't die. We made it home. I won. Literally at no point in time did Sophie say that she wanted this. Yeah. At no point in time. She said no. She said no. No is a full sentence. And it means fucking stop it, Bianca. And Sophie says, all I wanted to do is rescue Bianca one last time. Save her from herself as if all of her mistakes, her crimes, are just another handful of food dollars that I can take on myself. And I'm just like, she's too far gone. That's not... Sophie is willing to destroy herself for for Bianca. Bianca. And I think I just... It's so frustrating. Yes. Yes. That's what happens when you're in an abusive relationship. (laughs) Relationship. Yeah. So uh, she finally sees Sophie's body and freaks the fuck out. Oh, she flips. Yeah. She flips. She, the first thing out of her mouth is we will need to study you yeah not oh my god what happened are Are you you okay okay? (laughs) you know like nothing pertaining to sophie's well-being in no way is she trying to understand her other than in a clinical sense that could potentially be weaponized which just like creeps me out if you you know she's supposed to be your best friend and you know you have guilt tripped her and you have put all of these things on her listen i'm gonna be completely honest there have been several times when i've thought my best friend needs to be studied oh ren oh she's a handbag full of weird i mean let me yeah (laughs) i i would study her yes yes absolutely (laughs) let's get a pack of like sociologists a pack of psychologists and a pack of the way that that Bianca says it, it's very gross. So like it's the way so that gross. you and I, we would actually just want to be like, what the fuck? What makes Ren Ren? Exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Whereas Bianca's, like you can already tell that her little, the little mechanisms in her brain are trying to figure out a way to make Sophie's change into her advantage. She's already trying to figure that out. She, so, uh, Sophie tries to flee. A guard shoots her, and Bianca says that we need her alive. Mm -hmm. And she's saying, um, she's not even human anymore. She got into my chamber and attacked me. Yeah. With some kind of psychic powers. It was horrible. We need to capture that thing alive if we can. That thing. She's immediately objectified her. Mm -hmm. Uh Uh-huh. Ugh. And it just makes me so fucking angry because yeah. I'm just like, the only reason you're alive mm-hmm. is because of her. Yeah. Yeah. And meanwhile, this is when uh, Mouth is trying to get Alyssa. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Alyssa's been imprisoned under this castle. And Mouth being Mouth is already knows the layout of the castle because of all of the plans that she studied during the original, like, part of the book when they were in Zeophant. Mm-hmm. So she knows some ways in and Mouth picks the fucking toilets. Like, it's so gross. Yeah. Like, the descriptions. Yeah. I skipped over that because no, I was fair. like, it was so gross. Literally, the, you're, the way you described it, it's, it is a very, like, look, 
imagery-laden book. Yeah. And there are a lot of metaphors in some of the ways that it's she It's a describes. metaphor heavy, heavy book. It is. It really yeah. is. But I like that kind of writing. It's not for everyone. It is definitely <laughs> for me. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, some, some descriptions, I think, made sense for what she for was sure. trying to do. I just felt like or some metaphors, excuse me. It just was like metaphor on top of metaphor on top yeah. of metaphor on top of metaphor. Yeah. But the, that whole section was really nasty. But I mean, Mouth goes and springs Alyssa. And Alyssa's like first reaction is to be mad at Mouth. Yeah. And says, you're just going to ditch me again. Oh. Which I'm just like, oh, but she's there to save you. She's rescuing you. But she also has ditched you a lot. I a get lot. that. Yeah. Like, I can I can think of five or six times just through the course of the book. Well, I love how uh, Alyssa's like, you're just going to ditch me again. And then uh, Mouth says, no, I'm not. Helps her and then leaves to go rescue Sophie. <laughs> So she literally ditches her. Like, four seconds later. Yeah. Like, they get out of there, and then the, there's the commotion inside of the castle. Mouth immediately knows that it has something to do with Sophie. And her thought is, of course, Sophie, the fucking idiot, went to go talk to Bianca when yeah. I told her to not do not that do explicitly. That. So one one other thing uh, that I we haven't mentioned, and... That I kind of had an issue with is after Mouth, the first time Mouth puts her head into the tentacles of the galette, mm-hmm. whatever reason, she loses the ability to use her hands. I, I think it's she loses her ability to do violence. That's because oh, it was the only times she was using her hands before was to do something violent. So it's when she holds a gun. Yeah, like her hands can, fail her yeah. when she tries to stab somebody. Her hands fail her. Yeah. So it, go ahead. I was just going to say I think that her experience of going into the Gellet's like conceptual scheme is what I'm going to call it and I will explain what that is in a little bit Um, her experience going into their conceptual scheme has fundamentally changed her and I think that's what is happening there so uh, while she's on her way to to rescue Sophie she's shot in her shoulder in her leg Mm -hmm. and then she's brought down into the dungeon and that's where, like, cause I even wrote a note that was like, I thought she couldn't use her hands because she does fight in this moment using her hands. Yeah. But maybe is it more just self-protection? Yeah. Okay. I think it's, the difference is taking a kill shot versus incapacitating somebody. Mm-hmm. So Bianca has a manhunt going on for Sophie, mm-hmm. calling her a monster. Mm-hmm. She... While Sophie is trying to escape the city, she spots a symbol that belonged to Hernan. Hernan. Hernan, yeah. Hernan. And finds Jeremy. Yeah. And he's there to help her. Sweet, simple Jeremy. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I get a very wafy vibe off of him. Yeah, like, I can see that. Like, if I were to cast him, he'd be maybe a, like, a Timothy Chalamet. Yeah. Or a Matthew Gray Gubbler or okay. something. Oh, I love him. Anyway. Oh God, yeah. So Jeremy wants Sophie to show him, uh, and she does. He says that she uh, could be the next greatest recruitment tool. And it's interesting that he calls her a tool. Like, yeah. It's literally just another person trying to turn her into something she's not trying to be. 
trying to to utilize her rather than to meet her where she is. Mm-hmm. Well, and he said, like she says to him, "I am not going to be your propaganda tool." Mm-hmm. And we learn that he is starting an uprising against the new queen regent. <laughs> so it's just c- a perpetuating cycle, full circle. Uh huh. And one thing that Bianca does say to Sophie when they were before, so uh, before. Bianca sees Sophie's new body is, mm-hmm. you know, I can't, I wanted to change things, but it's actually fine the way it is. Yeah. And so and, she wasn't, and after just, all of this, she wasn't going to change anything. Exactly. And then she started to kvetch about how, like, difficult certain things are. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, well, the shutter cycle is based off of the farm wheels, and mm-hmm. the farm wheels are based off of the water cycle, and blah, blah, blah. So she's making all of these excuses about why she can't change things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which is the whole reason that she wanted to become queen anyway, right? That's the whole reason she said she wanted to become queen. (laughs) Um, And so it's just, poor Jeremy just is, it's just full circle. He's just going to end up the same But he does have, um, what's its name? Uh, Cyrus the Marmot. Yes. Yeah. Jeremy has Cyrus the Marmot, which like... On the one hand, deeply worries me that um, Hernan is dead because yes. that he was so connected to that marmot. But mm-hmm. on the other hand, I'm glad that Cyrus was around again. So Alyssa finds Sophie and brings um, Sophie to mouth. Uh, Alyssa is shown and cries afterwards, mm-hmm. like is shown basically like the truth of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how the fucking book ends. <laughs> so I'm going to just t- take our attention back to the very beginning of the book. Because I think that the ending is actually there. The translator's note. Oh, okay. Right at the front. I mentioned this last episode because I think it's the most important thing. And it really adds to the... It augments the ending in a way that makes it less infuriating. Okay. Because the fact that it is left there with just... Alyssa learning what happened is like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> but I, t- I feel that. But the translator's note, um, I'm going to read it out loud. I apologize if I stutter or anything. This manuscript has been translated from the original Zeofanti and Argelin into peak English, um, which is as... How would you say that name? Jikalano. <laughs> Jikalano. Okay, name points out in reference 2327.288 has become the, quote, language which everyone reads but no one speaks, end quote, across several worlds and space nodes. This exercise entailed a number of challenges, particularly with the mouth sections, but given the amount of interest in these documents and indeed misinformation regarding their contents, a serious attempt at a clean translation appeared necessary. Despite all of the apparent fabulations and liberties taken in both of these narratives, they remain the closest thing we have to a primary source regarding the origins of this new emergent form of human sentience. Oh. So Sophie, um, detractors such as Linkathy have argued for a mythocratic pseudo frame, uh, choosing to view these hybrids as the product of a response to extreme environmental pressures, resulting in a kind of evolutionary assimilationism. These texts undoubtedly serve to complicate and possibly even subvert that frame. Note, where the settlers on January chose to adopt archaic earth 
with terms for common items in, along with the local flora and fauna, I have attempted to render this into peak English as seamlessly as possible. Hence, radio, lorry, pager, crocodile, cat, bison, etc. Names and proper nouns have also been regularized into English spelling where possible, e.g. Sophie, Bianca, Reynold, etc. For glossary of Zeofanti, etc., etc. The rest is just like academic speak. So this right here tells us that there are hybrids and You're it's right. a new species. You're right. So we're right. given to understand at the end that Sophie's successful. But what happens? What happens <laughs> with Bianca? What happens with Dash? Like, I don't know. Does, like, I have fucking questions, man. See, and that's the thing. I think that you pointed it out. It's a full circle. And I think that humans yeah. are just going to keep going on that little hamster wheel on this planet. But the thing that really matters is this new type of human sentience, this new species that has emerged. Okay, okay. And that is the, the, the point that I think really it's trying to make. Okay. Yeah. So for me, that's... that completely changed the ending when I I read through it I also had that frustration of going is this where it fucking ends and then I went back to check the translator's note because I had made a note to myself no, that makes to, so much more sense yeah now. yeah so it's we don't know the gritty details of how she succeeds but we do know how she starts and eventually somehow this hybridization happens so if you'll allow me actually I would I would love to have my little cold quarter so I I don't know how much how familiar are you with translation not super not familiar uh, i mean unless you talk about like medical jargon into common see that's so interesting that's so important people who do that if you are one of the people who do that you are one of the greatest humans that exists <laughs> um i am very Honestly, it's just a, a bunch of latin bullshit <laughs> <laughs> I'm, i am very interested in translation not only like as a practice but as a concept and so i'd love to ask you do you have um can you think of a word for uh homesickness for a place that you've never been to longing longing is nice um the germans have an exact word for it it's fernweh it's this wanderlust but also you're seeking a place you've never been to in a way that like i want to go home but I want to go to that place. Interesting. Uh, or, I mean, do you? Can you think of a word for specifically the weight that you gain from emotionally overeating? Ooh, <laughs> I don't. I'm not answering that one. <laughs> the Germans also have one. It's called Kimmerschmeck. Um, or what about uh, that that feeling of coziness when you're sitting next to a fire and it's like storming outside and the lights are low and you have a hot chocolate and you can hear the shutters. There's a word. There's a word. Yeah, the Dutch have a word for it. It's called hygge. Hookah. I hookah. love it. Or, or drop last... some hookah on me. <laughs> my, my last one, and there are so many more examples of this. These are just kind of self-indulgent ones for me. Um, that feeling that you get when you're standing next to like a big precipice, like if you're at the edge of a cliff or on top of a building, where you're not sure if you trust yourself not to drop to jump off. Isn't that anxiety? <laughs> Best answer. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. The French have, have, have a phrase for it. It's called anxiety. The, <laughs> anxiety. <laughs> it's called, oh, fuck. 
The French have a phrase for it. It's called l'appel du vide. It's the call of the void. It's, oh, fuck. Yeah, isn't that amazing? Wow. So language is a slippery thing mm-hmm. in that some languages have f- terms and phrases and whatnot that other ones don't. And oftentimes, especially in English, we'll kind of piecemeal pick things that we like from other languages, like faux pas. You know what a social faux pas is. That's Mm -hmm. a French term. You know what a taboo is. That is not an English word. We've picked it up. Or a skosh. I want a skosh of pie. That's based off of the Japanese word skoshi, which means little. And we've just grabbed onto it like little hermit crabs and added it to our language. So in this book, we didn't talk about it when we were talking about the plot. There's a concept that Sophie keeps trying to understand called anchor banter in Argelin. So she learns Argelin, but there's like, she's trying to wrap her head around what anchor banter is. Mm-hmm. And she knows I that- up on all of that. No, it's totally fine. <laughs> <laughs> See, this is the kind of stuff that like, forgive the phrase, gets me rock hard. <laughs> I love it. It's, I, this is why I read science fiction, is stuff with states of consciousness, different politics, and the concept of new ideas. New ideas in and of themselves is really cool to me because mm-hmm. we very rarely actually encounter new ideas. Yes. We usually yeah. just see reimaginings of a different idea, especially in stories. So Anchor Banter was in Argelin, like a person who's kind of like a foil to another person. Okay. Um, so they're like almost like your soulmate, but in the worst possible way. Like <laughs> they show up specifically to fuck things up. But to me, that's less interesting than the fact that Sophie struggles with it so much. Because ultimately you kind of realize that Mouth and Sophie are each other's anchor banters. Like they keep kind of showing up and fucking each other's days up. Yeah. Um, but the fact that it was untranslatable in a meaningful way to Sophie for so long was so fascinating to me. Okay. And I can that, see that is what I like for me, translation is what's happening in this book, but less translation of actual words, more of thoughts. Many uh, great thinkers, including Friedrich Nietzsche, who is, uh, it's, it's common, common miss pronunciation many people call him Nietzsche it's Nietzsche he wrote in an incredible short work that was not actually published in his lifetime it was published after the fact um, truth and lying in an extra moral sense it he wrote that what not only what we know but what we can know is all tied to language so if you don't have a referent to a thing, you can't really understand it in a meaningful way as a human. So the fact that the Gellet do not use language means that on a fundamental level, humans and Gellet cannot understand each other as intimately as you can understand another creature that has language. Okay. Which is why... I take back some of my business. (laughs) This is fine. This is fine. But that's where the role of the translator comes in. That's who Sophie is. She is the only person who can translate between Gellet and human. She is the only person who can bridge that gap between what is called 
a conceptual scheme on one side and on the other as well. So she has one foot in a Gellet conceptual scheme and one foot in a human conceptual scheme. And this conceptual scheme is kind of the boundaries of knowledge that we have. Mm -hmm. So think about a map, but instead of like New Jersey on it, it's all of the things you are capable of knowing. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's it's the underlying ontological framework for what you can actually access as far as your brain goes. So Sophie's the only person who can make that happen. And because she is trying to make more hybrids, she's effectively trying to make more translators, the go-betweens, these people that can can really bridge that gap. And I guess to me, the the premise of the book had to deal with trauma. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think that... And just how, like, you know, it Mm-hmm. how hard it is to overcome it. Yeah. And that's the thing about books, honestly, is I think that there can they can be about more than one thing. Oh, yeah. They're like a person. Like, I have many interests. As, I mean, I've talked about friggin' peach bread and translation theory. <laughs> and, and some freaking hardcore philosophy as well. Like, But I think that's fascinating. Thanks. And it, the quote that really, not in the book, but it, it's an external quote, comes from Walter Benjamin that that's really nails it home for me. Walter Benjamin was a German-born Jew oh. um, who died as a result of the Holocaust. Okay. Um, it, kind of a not good time to yeah. be who he was, but he was an incredible thinker and would, I think, have been a very intru- influential philosopher if he had survived. Um, his his early work was really strong, and he worked a lot on translation. So he would translate between German and French and whatnot. And he was actually um, the brother-in-law of Hannah Arendt, who is somebody that I'm sure I will go off on uh, about because I love her so much. But uh, he wrote this work called The Task of the Translator. And he said, the basic error of the translator is that he preserves the state in which his own language happens to be instead of allowing his language to be powerfully affected by the foreign tongue. So... Wow! Yeah! So instead, so often translators as a practice will try and make things as accurate as possible instead of entering in a new word to the lexicon that we can use and all grow as people. And as a function, that's what Sophie's doing. She is powerfully altering what people can know because of her very existence. And that, to me, is why I had, like, a brain explosion at this book. Okay. So. All right. No, I get... That makes a lot more sense to me. Fair. I'm not as mad at the ending as I was. Awesome. So. Uh, that, that makes me happy. I mean, yeah. I'm not expecting this to be your favorite book of all time. I hate it less. How about That's that? good. Yes. I'll take that. I will... I'll take that as a fucking win. <laughs> but that's the thing, also, is that I think that there is a big disservice to the reader if you have to over-intellectualize something to make it make sense Mm -hmm. at the same time. So, like, of course I know Friedrich Nietzsche and Walter Benjamin, but, like, not everybody knows that stuff. So the fact that it's never explained in a meaningful way to your your general audience means that it makes it inaccessible to a lot of people. That being said, I loved it. I would teach it. I would give it five stars. But I think that this book was, like, written for me, you know? Well, and I think, because 
I am new to sci-fi, mm-hmm. and so I think maybe it, it was just on a different level than what I was expecting. That's fair. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's a, I think it's a powerful book. I think so, too. I don't think it's for everyone, though. Like, I, yeah. I would hedge who I recommend this book to. Uh, yeah, for sure, because there's, mm-hmm. there's some... It's a trauma-heavy book, for one. Yes. For two, it ha- it centers on a very toxic relationship. Yes. And then the underlying issue is is climate mm-hmm. change and, and that issue. And so I think, like, an example is one of my friends. She's a doctor, mm-hmm. and she had to... Poor thing. She had to take, like, a couple of days off because she just went into, like, such a existential crisis about like our water supply yeah. because like she's a doctor she's been working in the hospital with covid patients mm-hmm. and like she's like so mary like this is how it went in my mind was okay so i wash my hands between each patient but you need to let the water run as you're soaping up because mm-hmm. it, it is like a how much you touch depends on like yeah. your cleanliness or whatever and so she's like, so my, in my brain is, it's like, okay, I'm letting all that water run as I'm washing my hands. So am I contributing to our lack water of water crisis? crisis? Like, See, and that's so, that's so fascinating. And she's like, but I'm a doctor and I'm helping with COVID patients. And like, mm-hmm. you know. So I, I mentioned this before. But she had like. A crisis. She had crisis. She has every right to, honestly. <laughs> I, I mentioned this before last episode that I studied feminist utopianism mm-hmm. in um, my for my completion of a master's degree. Mm-hmm. And one of the aspects that is often brought up is ecology and the environment. And there's this incredible book by Timothy Morton, who's a university professor, called Hyper Objects, Philosophy oh. and Ecology After the End of the World. Interesting. And it... The way that he he talks about it, it's definitely like a sew elbow patches onto your sweaters <laughs> and get ready to start rubbing your temples because you will become a professor if you oh, read that. that. Is funny. But it's th- that book is um, it really reframed the way that I felt overwhelmed about mm-hmm. the environment and the environmental crisis because. Effectively, he says it's what's called a hyper object. It's so big and so ever present that you can't, you cannot perceive the whole of it. Yeah. Like it's, it's like trying to look all the way up at the top of a very tall building and it just kind of disappears and every now, and it gives you like a vertigo almost. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, yeah, I could go on about this, but it's, it's one of those things that is so big and it's so present that it can yeah. really destabilize you. Well, and I think that's why I wouldn't recommend this to her. <laughs> yeah. like she's already having yeah. a really big issue with our own climate change. Yeah. So. Well, one of my favorite books of all time is um, Parable of the Sower by Octavia oh, Butler. Yeah. It's beautiful, but there is so much sexual violence. There is Ooh. so much racial violence. There is so much, like, gender dysphoria and the way that empathy is literally weaponized is terrifying and it is also centered around a climate crisis interestingly the book came out in 1994 and 
the there was an, a guy who had become president and he was this horrible, horrible person. His slogan was "Make America Great Again." Oh, for fuck's sake! For fuck's sake! <laughs> right? Yeah. No. It. It's. But it's one of those books that I love. Like it is one of the most precious things I have ever touched. Mm-hmm. But I would never tell a person to read that book unless I know for sure they'd be okay. that they'd be okay. Yeah. So yeah. Well, so I. I I will change my rating because I have this at like a two star. Okay, that's fair. So I, I'm changing it to a three star. That is generous of you and I appreciate it. <laughs> I love this book. I think if you're more of a me reader, then it's right up your alley. If you're more <laughs> of a Mary reader, it might be one you pass on. Yeah, maybe. I mean, there's I the way that she writes about trauma, I think is very beautiful. Yeah. The The rest of it is just a lot of flowery descriptions and a lot of like flowery descriptions of an uninviting planet yes yeah Yeah. perfect and a lot of metaphors yes so i think that's was my main issue i like metaphors like a (laughs) hummingbird likes a flower get it that was a metaphor it was very meta it's fine uh on that note (laughs) thank you for listening (laughs) thanks everybody for joining us um we'll be back next week with uh the city in the middle uh sorry no no that's the city in the middle that's what we're doing right now Oh my God. We'll be back next week with the first part of how, uh, The House in the Cerulean Sea. Yeah, by TJ Clue. Oh, you guys, get ready. It is, you oh, are just so going to be hugged by the biggest, gayest blanket, and it is perfect. Yeah, I, I honestly think that it is the exact remedy for the malaise that this yes. one puts you in. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, yeah. for sure. Okay, thank you guys for Thanks, joining guys. us. Thanks, Bye. I'm actually waving. Oh, yeah, Mary's <laughs> waving. It's really cute. <laughs> Thanks again to Robbie Bates, my cute husband. Uh, special thanks to Ren Haynes, our wonderful gremlin. And uh, special thanks to the author. Uh, of course, without books, this podcast wouldn't exist. Mm-hmm. I would be very sad. I would be a husk of a human. Yes, yes. Please support authors the best way you can. There's mm-hmm. a million places to go shop. For book. Mm-hmm. One place is bookshop.org. Uh, you can go on our website, howtobakeabookpod.com. If you click the bookshop.org, you can find all kinds of really awesome books there. Mm-hmm. Of course, there's Audible and Amazon and... Your local indie shops. Yes, and please shop indie. Please shop indie. Please shop we indie. Love Keep indie. them open. Keep them open. Keep them open. Keep them open. <laughs> also, special thanks to Tracy Randall for making all of our incredible digital art. Yes. And she's got even more up her sleeve, I'm sure, for us. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and, then, uh, and she has social media. Please check her out. And of course, thank you to you guys for listening to us. Thank Thank you you for being here on our little book journey. Bye. Bye.